Hello, welcome to the Streaming Evil Live show where we stream live in an evil kind of way. Just make sure this is working. We got a new workflow set up where I can set everything up so that I'm not stuck here trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, why, how, how am I going to get all this stuff, you know, me grumbling, complaining about things, complaining about how I don't have an assistant to help me. I don't need an assistant to help me because I think I figured it out myself. I think so. That sort of thing. So here we are. Um, just checking to make sure that it's working. It is. Just how was everybody's weekend? We're celebrating Hanukkah right now in the house. It's very nice. Uh, we're doing eight nights of Hanukkah. Uh, giving the kids some wonderful Hanukkah gifts. They're really enjoying it. Um, I've just been uploading videos like a mother effort. So I've started basically, I'm broadcasting every day now. I try to at least. Um, I'm, I'm trying to really just push the grind to a whole new level. I'm trying to uh, just talk about things that I really love. So right now I've been on a Return of Living Dead kick. Uh, so if you're a fan of Return of Living Dead, please check out some of my other videos that are on the channel uh, about Return of Living Dead. If you like this format for the Misfits, then you will love that format. And as you can see, I got a, a bit of a haircut here. I'm, I'm actually, this is actually a devil lock. If you could imagine, this is actually, this folds into a devil lock. Um, I started doing this back over the summer and then I let it grow in really, really long. And then I had the wife uh, shave it up for me. And uh, I'm really happy with it. It's this weird... I feel like a like a college a hip college professor out of the nineties or something. I don't know, <laughs> but um, yeah. So there's that. So yeah. So if you like, if you are a fan of the um, Return of the Living Dead and you like this format, please check that out. Also, please like, subscribe, share this stream, uh, leave a comment if you will. We're talking about 12 hits from hell today. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to say a big shout out. I want to give a big shout out to, I didn't, I meant to do this the other. Oh, look at this. The comments are flying in. Peter thinks it looks nice. Rue, Rue Morg thinks it's a nice buzz. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Peter and Rue hang out with me during the week <laughs> while we talk about Return of Living Dead and movies. Guys, we've been having a pretty good time doing that. I think I've been having a great time. I think you guys have been having a good time to show up every week. Um, so they're my they're some of my lunch crew. So that's been fun. So good to see you guys. But I want to give a shout out to uh, John, the voice of Doom, um, who bought me a cup of coffee, uh, so to speak, using Kofi.com. Uh, uh, John really appreciates this content and. Uh, uh, he wanted to express his gratitude by buying a cup of coffee. I just want to tip my hat to John. Um, I think he's going to be coming on the show along with uh, Tony Matura. We're going to be talking about some stuff. I don't want to say what it is yet until those guys are ready uh, for whatever. Um, but hope to have them on the show in the very near future um, to, to chit-chat about some stuff. So that'll be fun. Um, but I just want to give that shout-out and to thank him. Again, for the Hanukkah gift, as he put it. So thank you uh, for your support, John. 
John of Voice of Doom. Um, moving on. So I do have a new t-shirt design. It is coming. It's, uh, I just haven't gotten it. You know, I got to tell you, it's a real pain in the butt to put those designs on Teespring. Here's the, here are the pros and cons. You put it up on Teespring and they take care of the rest of the stuff, but you have to put it on the merchandise and you have to align it just right. And man, that's time consuming. It takes a really long time to get that all squared away and put, cause you know, I want it to be perfect too. So, you know. So far, I feel like I'm, I, you know, some people have bought the other designs. I love the other designs. I think this design is really great. Uh, I'm hoping that it will be a hit. We will see. Um, I think I, I, I'm firmly a believer of the uh, democratic notion, uh, or not democratic, I should say, capitalistic notion. The one time where I think capitalism is really, really, truly a great thing, the capitalistic notion of uh, voting with dollars, uh, which is, you know, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's just how art, Art and that's where art and commerce really meet. When something's high in demand, people buy it. Uh, so, or when something something is really great, people buy it. Uh, it's like what Steve Zing said the other day. Steve Zing made a comment, and I agreed with him. He was like, you know, it's all in the songs. If you have really good songs, people are going to listen to songs. People are going to buy the songs. People are going to go to the show. People are going to vote with their dollars. You know, I think there's something to be said for said for that. Um, so I think he was right in that in that sort of way. Um, what else can I tell you? Ah, another thing I want to do. So what we do on the show here is we highlight bands and, and projects and things that we, we are really stoked about. Um, so, uh, I wanted to highlight two things in particular. The first thing I'm going to highlight here is, I don't know if you guys, who's into the Ramones? Obviously everybody, right? Everybody loves the Ramones. I love the Ramones. Do you love the Ramones? I love the Ramones. Do you love the Ramones? If you love the Ramones, then you're going to love this band. I, I, they discover, I don't know how I discovered this band, but I discovered this band. Uh, and I think they're really, really, really stupendously great. And wait, why is this not working? This is frustrating. Okay. Um... I think this band is really great. Um, they are, I guess you would call them a Ramones core band. I hate that word. You know, here's the thing. Okay. These guys are not Ramones core. Okay. These guys. Yes, I know. Rue, you love the Ramones and Pete, you love the Ramones too. But um, the, okay. Th there's a difference. I think Ramones core is when it's like straight cookie cutter Ramones in the same way. You know, it's funny. I had this guy on my pizza punk show. Anybody a fan of, uh, if anybody knows the band sublime, then you know that J uh, Bradley Noel, he had a son uh, named Jacob. Jacob has a band called law. Great band. Uh, his, the drummer of that band was on my, um, my podcast, uh, pizza punk. His episode will be coming soon. We were talking about the, um, the situation where, where in the way that the misfits, uh, are like the, the, the cults behind the misfits is like an East coast thing. And you have all these like bands that copy the misfits. Like there's this whole subgenre of bands that literally copy what the misfits do. It's the same thing with sublime on the West coast sublime. Everybody cop. There's like sublime literally sprouted a genre of bands, cookie cutter bands that do exactly what sublime does. They don't do it uh, as well as sublime. Cause no one can ever match sublime in the same way that no one can ever match the misfits in that way. Um, I think it's the same thing with the Ramones. The Ramones have Ramones core bands where you have bands that are 
uh, very influenced by the Ramones, and they're doing exactly what the Ramones did, um, but they will never measure up to being what the Ramones were. So these band, this band is not a Ramones core band, so I need to correct myself, but they are super heavily influenced by the Ramones. You might have heard of them. They're kind of underground. They don't have a... So this is what's crazy. In the 20th, in the 21st century, in the digital age, this band, they don't have a, they don't have a, 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 any kind of presence online. They don't have, they have one presence. They have a band camp. They don't have a Facebook. They don't have an Instagram. They don't have a Twitter. They don't have a Snapchat. They don't have a, a, a TikTok. They don't have anything. The only way you can buy their music online is you can read, oh no, they're on Spotify. So you can check them out on Spotify or you can buy their stuff on Bandcamp. And that's the only way. That's the only way I was able to find out that they were coming through to St. Vitus in Brooklyn and I went to go see them live. They weren't even headlining. They were, right, it is old school, Pete. That's exactly what it is. They weren't even headlining. They were um, going, uh, uh, they were playing an opening set. They had a 20 minute opening set. And let me tell you, this band, their songs are so short and they play so fast but they're still retain like they're like they're still melodic, but their songs are so short and so fast that the first album, which is 12 songs, it's only 18 minutes long. And it's awesome. It is awesome. Uh, it's one. I love that album. I love this album. Uh, in any case, I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. Uh, it's this band is called dark thoughts. And if you don't know them, they're out of Philly, they're out of Philadelphia, I believe. And uh, I am just a, a huge believer in these guys. These guys are awesome, man. Take a look at that drummer. Look at that drumming. They're they're a three piece, right? Uh, they play so fast. That drummer is like a he's like a he's like a machine gun, man. You know, um, he's so tight. I, I sat there when I saw their live set. I sat and I watched that drummer live, and I just could not get over. He's not doing anything super revolutionary. It's just about how fast he's going, the precision. They're so tight. The chemistry is unbelievable. Uh, and this dude, this front man, dude, I don't know any of their names. The front man, dude, um, he's just a straight up Johnny Ramone down picking the whole time. He just does not stop. That uh, that that uh, picking hand, whatever you call it, that strubbing hand is is unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. And they are super fast. And, and the bass player, she, she holds it down as well. Uh, and they just work so well together. And uh, the, the songs blow me away. Uh, so I went down, I, I saw them live. They play super loud. You know what it felt like? It was the closest thing I felt like to seeing the Ramones. You know what I mean? Like in, in this day and age. Uh, but the, what's nice about them is they don't have, a. they're not, um, it's not a Ramones, uh, they, they have, I don't know, they have a lot of melody. There's a lot of melody to their songs. I'd say that they're a cross between the Ramones and almost like the bouncing souls in a weird kind of way. And uh, their songs are not, um, their songs are timeless. They're not writing about uh, things that are going to get outdated. They're not writing about like your iPhone. They're not writing about, you know, anything that, that you'd be like, oh, that's so 15 years ago. Uh, the stuff that they write about is uh, timeless, very timeless. Um, and so real quick, if you want to check out Dark Thoughts, here's their first album. This is the one that I really like. Look at that. Just simple, minimalist. That's it. Dark Thoughts, man. I'm going to put this in the link. You can listen for free. And if you really like the music, support this band. Support this band and buy their album, okay? There you go. There's the link in the chat. 
Um, they're called Dark Thoughts, like I said. Look at that. That's 12 songs. Sorry, it's 12 songs, and the whole album is 18 minutes long, and that's it. And they've got some following, man. They've, they've made it all the way over to Europe and whatnot, and uh, they're, they're independent. I don't think they have a record label. They are their own record label, and uh, I believe they're their own record label. And, um, yeah, I just I just love I, I love the drums. I really just blow me away. So please check these guys out. And they've got three albums out now. If you notice, you'll see the, the Ramones influence. Look at this. What does this album artwork remind you of? Take one look at that. If you could imagine, what what is that? Um, yeah, man, I agree. It sounds, it is awesome and fun. What does that album artwork remind you of? It's a very iconic album cover. Uh, this was their second album called At Work. This is uh, sort of like an abstract version of Leave Home, if you ask me. Yes, you got it. Leave home. That's right. Yep. So you can see the influence there. They wear it on their sleeve. They wear it on their sleeve. And uh, let's take a moment also. Uh, my buddy Joe from uh, Darrow Chemical Company, He's uh, he's got a new shirt design out. Check that out. You can see right there at the bottom, uh, www.whbrecords.bigcartel.com. That's where you can buy this really cool shirt for Darrow Chemical Company. It's drawn by James Rose, an amazing artist. That dude, he did all the uh, Mr. Monster stuff. And, um, yeah, I figured, why not? Let's support Joe and his endeavors. And you can see this is a Tar Man. Since we're talking about Return of Living Dead a lot, this is the Tar Man design. Uh, check this out. It's in very limited quantity, limited batches. Um, so get your last-minute orders in now. I'll put that link. Hold on. I'll just type it out because I don't have a link here. I just have a photo. Um, WHB records dot big cartel dot com. Yeah, I agree, Rue. Rue, Rue thinks it's a nice design. I agree, man. So check that out. There's the link. I believe the orders are going out soon. So, so, uh, so, so get it while you can. And uh, that's just a really fun design. You know, I love it when something is like you have like an homage to something that's in something else. So that's really fun. Okay. On to the next thing. The, the, the main, the main um, source of our, the main discussion. I'm sorry. I'm at a loss for words here. Okay. I think it's the new haircut. It's, it's screwing me up. Um, okay. On to our main subject. That's what I mean to say. <clears throat> this show is brought to you by Bubbly Seltzer. little ASMR for you there. Um, okay. So I was, uh, I was chatting with someone and they were, they were suggesting to me, they're going, Hey, why don't you talk about 12 hits from hell? I was going to talk about something else, something really cool, by the way, that we're going to talk about really soon. But you know what? I was like, man, we haven't talked about 12 hits from hell, like really in depth, like talked about it. And there was a great site. This is where I actually learned all my information about 12 hits from hell. In addition to Mr. Central, in addition to my interview, I did a, a two-hour interview with Tom Begowitz, who wrote Scream With Me, that, that new Misfits book that we went through, as well as um, he was the guy who designed the box set and did Static Age and all that. And he also did 12 Hits From Hell. So I've actually had a conversation with that guy, but that was nine years ago, and I don't really remember what's on that tape, although I will very soon. Um, but this whole office is getting a redo, and then the real work, the... You thought 1979 was was long and crazy. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, but, yeah, 12 Hits from Hell is a very interesting sort of situation. It's um, 
it kind of it's like a paradoxical sort of thing too. Uh, I remember at the time. I mean, when Twelve Hits came out, it was right around the time I think I would been been into the Misfits for six months to a year already, and you know there was this there was talk online about there. Oh, there's a missing. There's a lost. There's a lost Misfits album, and that's the best thing. That's the that's the that's the best thing about being really fanatical about something. I'm really jealous of people that are into prolific artists, you know? Um, like if you're a fan of Bob Dylan, if you're a fan of the Grateful Dead, if you're a fan of like any of those jam bands, if you're a fan of Fish, if you're a fan of, I mean, even a band like Sublime, a band like Dave Matthews Band, uh, a band like, like there are all these bands, uh, Pearl Jam uh, is another band. Like these bands that have these, they're just prolific in their output, and there's just an endless, like, catalog. Metallica is a huge one. Oh, my God. There's endless amounts of Metallica. The Beatles, um, Paul McCartney. Man, if you are a Paul McCartney fanatic, you can endlessly wade through a stream of material. Uh, but I think the biggest one for me, again, I was super jealous one day when I came across this um, live show section. It was like live show bootlegs of Bob Dylan. Uh, for every single year up until that point, this was probably around 2011 when I discovered this, this thing. And um, it was like, it was like from 1963 to 2011 every year, like this live show, this live show. And I was like, man, I wish I was a fan of Bob Dylan to wade through that. Uh, and it just so happens that most of the bands that I'm really into have like a very limited amount of output. Um, think about this, like think about being a fan of a band like Sam Hain and the fact that they technically put out what they put out three, two and a half albums and one EP. Right. You know, and like everything that there pretty much is to see is out there essentially. Um, but like, you know, it's kind of like, it's just kind of like a bummer or like imagine being into like, imagine the sex pistols being your all time favorite band. They recorded one album and yes, they've put out box sets and there's live shows and there's uh, studio outtakes, but I mean, it's, it's a finite material. Once you, once you do a deep dive, one deep dive and you're done. I mean, you can spend 40 years wandering through the desert. That is the grateful dead. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, in like 1974, like blah, 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 blah. Then, you know, or even if you're a fan of Jerry Garcia, man, and you're like, Oh, it's the pizza tapes with David Grisham and they, blah, 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 you know, we don't get that. We're not very lucky, you know, with the misfits. Well, we're kind of lucky. I mean, new stuff comes out all the time. I mean, again, for years and years and years, we didn't know that there were unwritten songs like Infant Stranger and, you know, ba uh, Lullaby. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just, it's cut. So there's still stuff out there. But uh, for the most part, it's the bottom of the barrel. For most of this stuff is the bottom of the barrel. Um, I mean, Danzig's vault is probably deep and vast and we haven't really gotten to the bottom of Danzig's vault, but you know, um, you know, that guy is kind of like weird about releasing stuff. So, you know, who knows, who knows when, when and where we'll be able to see stuff. I wish I was actually, I've just become a Prince fan. I've really, really, really gotten into Prince. Um, and Prince, I love that, that album he put out, uh, God, what's it called? A uh, dirty mind is a great album. I think that's his third album. Prince has this ocean of work. There's an ocean of work to explore. Prince's vaults are deep, man. They're deep. They go all the way down into Paisley Park. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, I just uh, I, I just wish I had more bands like that. In any case, uh, the year is 
2001. It's like, whoa, there is another Misfits album. There, it's called 12 Hits from Hell, and it's coming out. And it's kind of like, what an amazing, like, what an amazing notion. It's like already there was a lost album called Static Age. Now you're telling us there's another lost album called 12 Hits from Hell. Oh, well, that makes sense because you have three hits from hell. So, blah, blah, blah. so you know, it's just kind of like, I don't know. It, it's kind of a really sort of weird, interesting thing. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm an endless stream of information. Instead, we're going to actually look at what I think is the best um, sort of like uh, source of information uh, brought to me by a mysterious benefactor who I'm not sure if he wants to be named or not. So I'll just leave him mysterious. Um, uh, but I, you know, I've been to this site before. I mean, this, like I said, this is where I had first really sort of done any kind of deep dive about 12 hits from hell. Henry Rollins, if you can find it, man, I used to have it, you know, he, Henry Rollins had a show called harmony in my harmony in my head and, um, radio show that he still does radio shows. I don't know if it's still called harmony in my head or if it's called fanatical or something. Um, but he, he did a whole five part series on 12 hits from hell where Henry listened to the official release track. And then he would listen to the uh, 12 hits version. And Henry was basically saying it was the ultimate misfits album. Oh, Pete I, guys, I see all the comments, but I'm trying not to sidetrack myself. So I'll, we'll come back to the comments in a little bit, but I'm just pointing out that Pete says he deleted that episode. That's a real shame. Uh, I have it somewhere, man. I hope I didn't, maybe I didn't delete it. Um, he says it's the same set list as 12 hits from hell, but yeah, there's some, they seem demo sounding. In any case, everybody's seen the, uh, the, the, it's, it's unanimous that a lot of people say a lot of people do. There's a lot of people that love the static age album. Think is, Oh my God, the static age album is perfect. Immaculate. Oh, well, it's the best thing ever. Steve Zing was on the show and he was talking about how static age, best thing ever. Um, I think, I definitely would have to say that when I think about all the different, I love all the different versions of the songs, actually. There's no one version that's the best. It's just like, what am I in the mood for? Yes, there are some things that I prefer over other things. Like, I don't prefer the the horror business version of Where Eagles Dare. Not my favorite. Not my cup of tea, really. Um, I think the same for the Night of the Living Dead on on the Night of the Living Dead EP. Uh, it's, I think... The, the definitive version of Night of the Living Dead, in fact, is on the 12 Hits from Hell. So, like, everything is, you know, uh, got its time and its place. And, um, yeah, there are certain versions that might be the definitive version. And that might be worth a deep dive all on its own. What is the definitive version of this song by this band? Because there's several versions. I mean, we are very spoiled, rotten. I mean, we're actually quite spoiled as Misfits fans, if you think about it. Going all the way back to 1985. 1985 comes around, you have Legacy of Brutality, and they're like, oh yeah, there's all these extra songs that you've never heard, including American Nightmare. American Nightmare might be, besides Spook City USA, American Nightmare is one of the most obscure misfit songs, I believe, right? It must be. It has to be. Um, if you think about it. So going back to, to 1985, people are, even before that, you know, Going back to 1980 with the first compilation, you have Beware, right? And on Beware, you have uh, this this obscure track at that time. Because in 1980, the Misfits had obscure tracks in the form of like Last Caress. What? And we talked about how Bobby Steele uh, supposedly gave Glenn the push to put Last Caress on um, 
on that compilation, uh, which Metallica would then hear, or Cliff Burton would then hear Last Caress and, you know, get really into the Misfits and yada, yada, yada. A very interesting notion. Um, so that was like the first time. And then, and then again with Die, Die, My Darling. Yes, Die, Die, My Darling EP is the official release, but Die, Die, My Darling is also sort of Glenn in a weird kind of way scraping, not, he hasn't reached the bottom of the vault or the bottom of the barrel, but he's, he's digging out stuff. It's not newly recorded stuff on Die, Die, My Darling. Die, Die, My Darling is using outtakes from both Earth AD and Walk Among Us. Die, Die, My Darling is not, does not have Robo on the drums. Die, Die, My Darling is actually Arthur Googie. And We Bite, both We Bite and Mommy are Robo on the drums, I believe. Um, but those songs, I don't, yeah, including We Bite, all three of those songs are Walk Among Us era songs. Those are not Earth AD era songs. So then that, you know, if you think about it, that's the only way to get those songs, really, truly, apart from the live version of Mommy on uh, Walk Among Us. It's the only way you're going to hear the studio version. Then in 1985, like I said, you get, you're getting um, the other half of Static Age, which must have been a revelation. You're getting uh, American Nightmare, and you're like, whoa, this is super rockabilly. This is crazy. Um, yeah, Pete, uh, Peter says it, it was it was uh, recorded in 81. Uh, it's the same set list as 12. All right. Wait, okay, I'm not going to. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there because then we'll get all, get all um, discombobulated. Then you have this. Uh, there's like some radio spot where Danzig plays Return of the Fly, which is the only song uh, from the Static Age sessions, at least at that time, that he had left off. So you're going, okay, now we've heard everything. There's everything the Misfits had put out, whatever, how many, what is that, like 50 songs at the time? Those are all out in the ether, pretty much. Um, if you include the fact that uh, uh, Who Killed, well, Who Killed Marilyn is on American Nightmare, but uh, Spook City USA, the only way to hear that is the Glenn Danzig version. So that still remains, that still remains unseen, at least until... 1995, 1996, when the box set comes out. But for the for the most part, so what is that, like 52 songs or something? Then Collection 2 happens, right? And what do you get off of Collection 2? Mephisto Waltz. And your jaw drops because you're going, what? I didn't even know this was a song. And it's not because the Misfits never did it. It was a song that Glenn wrote for the Misfits. The Misfits didn't like play, uh, practicing it. And so Glenn recorded it with Eerie as a Misfits song, even though it sounds more like a Sam Haynes song. And we did, you know, we had a whole discussion about this earlier this year. What is Mephisto Waltz? Is it a Sam Haynes song? Is it a Misfit song? Does this technically make Erie Vaughn the last recorded drummer on the Misfits if he played on that Misfits track? If Brain Damage, something to think about, really, truly. If Brain Damage uh, is an official Misfit and he drummed two songs on one live show before he was booted for Todd Swalla, would that not stand to say that Erie Vaughn? would be just as much much of a member in that kind of way if he's recording Misfit songs with Glenn. I don't know. It's a weird thing to think about, though. It's a really weird thing to think about. Um, so you get Mephisto Waltz, and then what's the next thing that comes out? Okay, and then Static Age, right? Well, you have the Max's Kansas City 78 show, which was recorded by George Germain. They're going to put that out. That doesn't happen. They don't put out the static age single that doesn't happen because caroline gets the, the the stuff caroline gets all the tapes from glenn we've talked about i'm going to go go through this super quick i know this is a re, repeat story yeah 
Jerry says they practiced it once. I know this is a repeat story, but I'm going to do it super quick. Tom, in detail, told me in my interview for They Came From Lodi, coming soon, sometime in the future near you, Tom Begowitz told me about how they got the master tapes from Glenn and they digitized everything, everything. Uh, the tapes were falling apart. They baked them in an oven. You've heard this story. They bake them in the oven, and then literally they run it through a di – they're digitizing it in a reel-to-reel -reel or however that's done. And the magnetic tape, it goes through the tape head, and then as it goes through the tape head, it disintegrates. They're literally digitizing it as it's being destroyed. It's like the equivalent – it's the cinematic equivalent of running on like a rope bridge or some sort of bridge as the bridge is blowing up behind them, blowing up behind the hero as – John McClane is running away from the explosion and the bridge is going <laughs> and here's Tom Begowitz and whoever's in the room biting their nails as the because God forbid the tape machine jams or something and they're they're running this they're running tape through the and you know what's funny? Who knows what else is maybe there was even more on those master tapes and maybe something got messed up or eaten and Tom and whoever just like zipped it and was like, oh. Like they, they had gotten messed up. Not their fault. It wouldn't be their fault either. You couldn't blame them for that. You know, again, it's like they're heroes for even saving it, you know, in the first place. But like if something did get disintegrated that like they would not be wanted to, they wouldn't want people pointing the finger at them for being the ones responsible. So they, maybe they've just never said anything. Maybe there was even more discoveries to be had. Um, there was, so, but to get back to my point, they're digitizing the tapes, right? They're digitizing all the tapes. They put out the box set. They put out Static Age. Static Age actually came from Franche Coma. He had a mix down tape with all the songs. Three of the songs that were not included for the intended album were, was it Comeback, She, whatever. In any case, there was a lost track, a lost track in the doorway. Nobody remembered doing this song. Um, it's just like a, a, a super early Misfit song um, that probably was a leftover from when they were a three-piece. It definitely sounds like some of the earliest material. And uh, so everybody was, is reveling. Like, I remember talking to Tank, uh, uh, Jonathan Grimm, and he's going, oh, my God, there's a lot. You know, his, his thought process at that time in his mind at 1994, 1995 was going, Oh my God. And there was a lost, here we are where there's a lost um, Misfit song. I never thought I'd get to hear another lost Misfit song. And so In the Doorway had a sort of like exotic appeal because it was a song that had just been rarely heard. And it kind of has like a Dorsey sort of vibe. Right. I'm sorry. P uh, thanks for the correction. It's it's actually In the Doorway. Pete says, it's In the Doorway, She and Spinal Remains. That's what I meant to say. And they had re-recorded She with uh, Franche Coma and Mr. Jim. So, so then you have that. And then it's like, what's what else is out there? Well, then the box set comes. And on the box set, you have the MSP sessions, which is what we're going to be talking about. And again, it's more, I think it's more complicated than I could say. You know, a lot of this stuff, like right now, what I'm doing, I swear to God, I'm just doing this off the top of my dome. I'm sure it sounds like I'm doing it off the top of my dome because I stumble over my words and I go, um, and, uh, um, uh, you know what I mean? Um, but this is off the top of my head for the most part. Uh, a general, what I can't do 12 hits off the top of my head. Like I just don't have enough. I don't know enough about it to be able to do that. So we're going to just read from the thing. I, I just can't, I, I would be, I'd be totally flossing if I tried. Um, but this I remember enough of, or at least I'm attempting to do 
a history of what of like lost misfit stuff leading up to the uh, that. In any case, the MSP sessions come out on the box set, and for the first time ever, you get the full MSP sessions. They're just not all consolidated together, so they all do exist, or they're all they are all out there, but they're just not in one place as one cohesive album. You also get the, I guess, actually, technically, it's the rarest. It would be the rarest track. It is um, the Misfits version of Spook City USA, which a song that I really love. I love Spook City USA. Really fun song uh, that I wish that they played live. And I wish they played it live now in the reunion. That's probably one of the rarest Misfits tracks, one of them, uh, besides Mephisto Waltz. So, so that comes out on the box set. Suddenly it's like, well, what else is there? There's, there can't be anything else. And yes, there are various versions and, and mixes. Um, uh, yeah, Pete's talking about, yeah, there's a disc three, and that's where you get all these different uh, versions of things and, and, and various trinkets that were on those master tapes that Glenn turned over, and, and, and they were rescued by Tom Begowitz and, and uh, his team at Caroline. Um, and then uh, I will, I'm going to skip ahead because we're going to be talking about 12 Hits from Hell. But um, there was the Plan 9 version of Walk Among Us. That was the version before uh, it got signed over to Slash. This is the version of songs, I guess, or maybe this is the reconstituted version of 12 Hits from Hell, right? Because they're kind of 12 Hits from Hell was kind of morphed by that time into Walk Among Us, which is the Plan 9 version, which would have come out on Plan 9. But then it was remixed. Chris from... Chris D from the Flesh Eaters, who was working with Slash, uh, flew Glenn and the, those tracks out, and they were remixed in one long 12-hour session with Glenn crashing on a couch, uh, watching an engineer remix everything, uh, uh, more to the satisfaction of the label. And um, But the Plan 9 version, half of the Plan 9 version, had gone unheard uh, by audiences. I remember in the aughts, I hate calling it the aughts. There's got to be a better name for it. The zeros. What are you, the aughts? In the aughts, um, on Misfit Central, I remember in the forum, it was like a big deal when we got to hear the back end of the Plan 9 version of Walk Among Us. Everybody was like, whoa, it's like, this is it. This is the final thing. There's nothing else to hear. And that would later prove un- be, that would later be proven untrue in a, in a, in a myriad of ways. Um, but the thing that really stood out of that back half was the super weird version of devil's whorehouse, which just sounds so different from any other version of the devil's whorehouse, which I love. Matter of fact, fun fact, not a fact, but whatever my high school, uh, high school, senior year. Uh, that was my quote in my yearbook was from devil's whorehouse. When I sin, I sin real good. And they, the, 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 the school, my high school refused to print it. They would not print Devil's Whorehouse, because I put Devil's Whorehouse, the but Devil's Whorehouse, Misfits, and they wouldn't do it. Those those mother effers. Um, but yeah, that version sounds super weird. I don't know what the instrumentation. There's like this weird clacking thing that Googie is doing on it, and it just sounds like a like a whip clack. It's like you know, for the she works at Devil's Whorehouse. It's just like this weird. I don't know. It's this weird percussion sort of thing, and um, that that was like a revelation. That blew blew me away. Uh, and then, of course, there is the 12, there's 12 Hits from Hell, which is never fi- officially released. Um, it was never officially released. It never uh, 
came out in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it was the only way to get 12 hits from hell was if you were really cool with someone at a, um, you know, in, in some sort of retail, uh, music retail store, you know, Sam Goody or this, because advanced copies went up. We're going to read about that right now. I'm going to pull this out now. Let's pull it out. There it is. Tharshi Blows. Okay. So let's start with the history of this album. So this is going back. Look at this. This is an angel fire site, right? Wait a minute. That's the everything you wanted to know. But then what about frequently asked questions, right? Okay, that's the meat of it, I think. And then different versions of the album. Yeah, so cool. Back to starter page. This guy has uh, links, links on information. Yeah. Oh, 12 hits canceled. Let's see what that is, too. And acetate photos. Hmm. Look at that. Those are all the big sites, man. Look, you got Misfit Central, 138.com, 7,000 TV casualty. Um, and you can contact this guy at Misfits12Hits at Hotmail.com. Yeah, right? <laughs> Shout out. I like that, Oni. Shout out to Tripod and Geocities. Geocities or Geocities? Is it Crozier or Kroger? I know everybody calls it Kroger, but... I like to think of that it's Crozier. I like to think that the G goes J instead of G. Crozier, not Kroger. Kroger. Crozier. Sounds more fancy. It's like saying Target. Target, you know? Uh, and liner notes. Let's see what the liner notes is real quick. We'll just open up everything, right? Oh, man. Is this the Tom Begowitz interview? Let's see. Yeah. Right, with TV Casualty. Ah, yeah, this is one of the interviews where he talks about it. Ah, oh, man. What's up, Russell? Why can't, why is the second link is gone? That's so cool. I didn't realize that Russell had interviewed him. Hmm. Tom Begowitz. It's a fun name to say, Tom Begowitz. Once you know how to say his name. All right, enough, enough horse, horse play. What is that? I don't know what that is. Ah, uh, ha. Huh. There we go. Sorry, just checking this one thing out. Collection two, the Misfits box set, Static Age, all it's not right. That's that. That is that information. Okay, all right. So let's go to the history of the album, and there we are. All right, everything you ever wanted to know about the Misfits' Twelve Hits from Hell. This is a super. This is super old. This is God. This is like nineteen years old. This site has to be from 2001 or somewhere early 2000s, right? Originally scheduled for release on October 30th, 2001, The Misfits, 12 Hits from Hell, would have been the latest release of, an all, of all original Misfits material, a complete group of songs from the MSP sessions recorded August 7th, 1980. Let's take a, let's pause. Let's think about the, the, the date, August 7th, 1980, right? Um, so Bobby, so their last show with Bobby is in the, is at the exile and that's, that's in J June or July of the year, right? Uh, now we got to check, man. Now we got to check. Now we got to check, man. Now we got to check. Now we got to check, man. Now we got to check. We got to get really accurate about that. Let's take a look. Let's take a look real quick. When did Bobby Steele do that 
that show with them. That show. Um, Exile Club. Their only show in 1980. They only played one show, at least according to Misfit Central. But Miss, we know that Misfit Central has been wrong about a lot of things over the years. So this could not be, this might not be accurate. Um, they played, so July 10th, they play with Bobby for the last time. Arthur Googie is in the band. He's been in the band for about seven months now. They got him right after Joey Image left. Or I don't know when, I don't know when he officially came into the band. All right, now let's take a look at the timeline, actually. Ugh, so annoying. Because they might have started recording. No, they wouldn't have started. Let's take a look at the timeline. All right, let's see. Sorry, we got to do a little detective work here. Arthur. All right. After a four-month break with no drummer and no shows, the Misfits recruited Arthur Googie, a drummer from New York City who had never been in a band. So how about that? Okay. So... So three months. So they probably started. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Sorry. This is okay. I'm glad we have this. We needed this here. This was important. This is important to have right now for the thing, for the thing of the thing. Um. So Googie comes into the band. There's, there's, in, there's inactivity for roughly four months in, in one way or another. Googie comes back in the band. Finally, it's time to start rehearsing. They're rehearsing Googie. They do a show with Googie on uh, July 10th, 1980. That's their last show with Bobby, right? And it's the only time they did that. Uh, and apparently, there's an audio recording of this show that exists, but has not been distributed. Then, in August, August 7th, 1980, in August, the Misfits enter uh, Master Sound Productions in Franklin Square, New York, to begin recording 12 songs for future release. In addition to Bobby Steele, Jerry's younger brother, Doyle, who had recently begun rehearsing with Danzig and Jerry, played guitar on some of the tracks. The, section, the, the session was mixed on September 5th. So they still haven't done their first show with Doyle, which would be on Halloween of 1980. Uh, shortly before the band's annual Halloween show, Jerry only informed Bobby Steele that he had been replaced by Doyle. But the way that, the way that um, Bobby Steele says it, tells it, uh, Bobby Steele came to the Irving Plaza show in 1980. No one had told him. He came to the show with Frank Zappa in tow and found out that he had been replaced by Doyle right then and there. So I don't know. That's kind of, I, you know, it's a he said, he said sort of situation. But the point is, to, to give some context here, um, this is the time. Remember when we were doing the Jerry Only interview uh, in Ugly Things 12, and he's talking about how Bobby left the band, and he's talking about how Bobby is starting to pull stuff like he's not showing up, or he's coming really late, he's not showing up. Well, this had to have been August when they're recording at Master Sound Productions in uh, Franklin Square, uh, New York. Uh, Doyle is clearly roadying for the sessions, right? He's showing up there. Uh, just sort of waiting in the wings. He's rehearsing with both. Um, he's rehearsing with, I mean, man, he had been rehearsing with them as early as uh, uh, Joey Image days, right? Just uh, jamming with them. Uh, and now here he is waiting in the wings. Uh, Bobby's not there. Uh, and we talked about that briefly, that, you know, Jerry said, oh, Bobby's being a, uh, an a-hole and, you know, uh, pulling all this rock star stuff. So, you know, uh, I'll just get my brother to do it. We don't need we don't need Bobby to do it, which was such a bad idea in the sense of like, you know, 
musicianship. And the flip side is uh, you have Bobby saying, Jerry uh, is not telling me when they're doing stuff or he's sabotaging me. He's not giving me rides and I can't get over there because I'm crippled. You know, it's a, I, I think there's a mixture of the truth in there. However, I do, I could totally imagine Bobby being like pulling, you know, trying to do some sort of power play, not showing up to a rehearsal and not realizing that he was, um, or at least that the guys thought he was more replaceable than he might've thought. And that led to Doyle playing guitar on those sessions. Right. Um, but Bobby had showed up to some sessions and he had played guitar and they had recorded it. Um, and then they also recorded Doyle doing it. Well, you know what? Instead of me talking about it, we'll go back. I just wanted to check this out because I'm just trying to like trying to plot this out in my mind of what's happening when. So, so, so Arthur Googie has only been in the band for four months. He's only done one live show, and they're replacing Bobby with Doyle, and now they're doing you know uh, Twelve Hits from Hell, right? Just like the Static Age album, Twelve Hits from Hell was originally slated to be a full length. Misfits album. Instead, the songs were never released as a whole, but they were split up and put out separately. And that's, yeah, that's what happened to Static Age. They record Static Age together. We know that story. They shop it around. Nobody wants it. So they chop it up, right? They're going to do a single. They're going to do a 12 inch thing, single of uh, Static Age. And then they were going to, and then they put out the Bullet EP. And then uh, some of the, they put, used Last Caress on, uh, on the beware thing. And then everything else remained unreleased until legacy of brutality. So it, it came out in, in batches, right? Um, well, that's the same thing that happened for 12 hits from hell. Eventually that session got cannibalized. You, and instead you get three hits from hell, right? Which does have Bobby on it as well, because he played on those sessions. That's where it comes from. But then you also get the Halloween EP. That's where the Halloween EP comes from. So all that stuff was sort of, and then the rest of the stuff sort of, obscurely obscurity of such i think some of that stuff is on collection one or collection two i don't know how that that the msp session chops up um blah blah blah, blah. oh here it, it go it, it'll it literally explains it here i literally just don't even have to talk uh trying to pretend like i'm an expert on this when i'm not instead the songs were never released as a whole but instead they were split up and put out separately some released on an original seven inch ep that was three hits from hell. Some ended up on bootlegs, right? So that's where you get the bootleg versions. Um, some, uh, some of the collections. Okay, so it is on the collection CDs. Eventually, most of the songs ended up in different areas on the Misfits box set. Strange enough, it wasn't until the release of the Misfits box set put out in 1996 that all of these songs were available to the general public for the first time. But even then, the songs were shuffled sporadically between the different CDs and the box set, and the mixes of the songs did not match up with each other. So nothing is mixed. It's not consolidated and mixed cohesively as one album. That's the thing to remember about 12 Hits from Hell, or what makes also makes 12 Hits from Hell different from everything that's come before. Uh, it's presented as a cohesive, singular album. Like you could take all that stuff and make the 12 hits album, like what he was just talking about, but it's all mixed differently. It's not going to sound right. This is all mixed with a vision, you know, because I guess you got to mix with a vision. Look at Die, Die, My Darling. Die, Die, My Darling is a Walk Among Us song that was later remixed so that it sounded more like the stuff on Earth AD, you know? Um, 
another thing, another interesting thing of note, talking about these bootlegs and how these versions come out, and then you get all these crazy the amount of the vast uh, market at you know collectability and underground that is misfits bootlegs. It's like insane. There's just so much to wade through. There's so much stuff, and then it gets even further exacerbated by when. You dub it over and over again. Tank has talked about this. You dub it over and over and over again, and it slows down the speed of the recording. So you actually think you're hearing a different version of a song that already is recorded and already exists. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it already, there's no difference. You know, it's just been warped so many times. It's been overdubbed, so whatever you want, dubbed so many times that it, it almost transforms the song into sounding like a different version of the song. So when you look at something like the Static Age outtakes, I think that's the name of one of the bootlegs, that all comes from mixdown tapes that, you know, the band would give the inner circle and th that stuff would get taped and sold as bootlegs. And then that stuff's been taped so many times, you hear an insane amount of hiss because it's been taped over so many times, but also the recording is slowed down and warped in a way where it sounds like it's a different version of the recording. You think you're getting a different version when, you're not. It's the same version. So it's like a really weird sort of situation how that stuff happens. Uh, in preparation for the Misfits 12 Hits from Hell, the creators of the CD went back and started from the beginning, uh, which this is Tom McGowitz and the Caroline team. They used the original master tapes from the recording session back in 1980 to completely remix and remaster every single song from the session to be released as a full album. It's a really cool idea. And you want to know something? It doesn't feel like a double dip to me personally. It really does feel like its own original project because it was intended at for whatever amount of time, which is probably a very small amount of time because eventually those, those songs were considered demos for Walk Among Us, right? You know, uh, the, the uh, Slash wanted new versions of the songs. That's how you get so many different versions of those songs. Um, but, but, uh, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. We were talking about, blah, blah, blah. right. Oh, the idea of sort of uh, putting this together as a one cohesive album. It, that makes sense to me, man. In the same way that like, you know, you, you have let it be, and then you've let it be naked, which strips down all of the Phil Spector production. And you get the raw sort of recordings that Let It Be was before they tried to package it as something else that was all Phil Spectorized. And you know, Paul McCartney very famously hated that. And he hated the 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 um the orchestration on the long and winding road, which is supposed to be very stripped down and bare. And so um in that kind of way, you're trying to you're trying to resynthesize what was a, what was once an acorn of an idea. You have the, 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 the tapes there, and they're just mixing it. And the only thing that's new, the only thing that is not from the band, is the way that it's being remixed and remastered so that it all feels cohesive, so that it all feels like the same sort of thing. Because when they were doing Three Hits From Hell, they were like, okay, hey, let's take, uh, okay, we're going to take uh, London Dungeon, we're going to take Cool's Night Out, and we're going to take Horror Hotel, and we're going to just mix those. We won't mix everything else because, you know, time is money in the studio. Um, and, you know, again, I learned from Scream With Me, Harry Pyro quote, that he, he one of his favorite movies was uh, Horror Hotel. And he asked Glenn to write a song about it. And he did. And that's how we got Horror Hotel. I had no, did not know that. 
said, okay, we're all going to mix these three songs. So they only mixed those three songs. And then, oh, the Halloween EP. So we're only going to mix those two songs, you know? Um, and that's kind of interesting how, like, you know, everything gets broken off into piecemeal and then remixed in different different kind of ways. So it doesn't sound cohesive. I feel like I've said that a hundred times. Okay, I'll shut up. Um, they even put the songs in the proper order that they were originally intended to be in for a full-length album release because they had a, I guess it was on the back of the master tapes box or it was scribbled down somewhere. There was a, a track listing order for the album. I think it opens with Halloween 1 and closes with Halloween 2, maybe? Let's see if we can pull that up. Uh, yeah, here it is. Okay. You know what I'm going to try and do? Let's see what happens. Oh, no. Hold on. Bear with me, people. Bear with me. This should work. Let's see what happens when I do this. Yeah, baby. I love when that works. So this right here, uh, let me make this a little bit bigger. So you can see this right here, there's Glenn's Captain Harlock shirt that he made by himself. They give a producing credit to Robbie Alter. Robbie Alter did uh, some guitar work, too, on, I think it was London Dungeon. He did some atmosphere tracks on Halloween. It says, produced and coordinated by Tom Begowitz, published by Evil Live Music, all songs written by Glenn Danzig, designed and laid out by Tom Begowitz uh, for a Man Alive design. Uh, the band photos are from the Erie Vaughn collection. Erie Vaughn and Tom Begowitz are friends. He, Erie Vaughn was asked by Tom Begowitz to um, write the, the forward in, in uh, the box set, which he did. They used Erie Vaughn's uh, Cough Cool she seven inch because they the master tapes were missing they were missing they were missing if you know what i mean um okay here it, it actually says okay robbie alter had additional guitar on london dungeon and violent world and i'm sure that glenn maybe glenn played it doesn't say that glenn played guitar but maybe glenn played a little guitar there too so you have bobby Steele on guitar you have doyle on guitar and you have robbie alter on guitar so you might have upwards of four guitarists on this one album um it says and then under the thanks you have glenn danzig jerry only and the misfits uh you did they they thanked mark kennedy that's cool erie vaughn alan douches um interesting it says Recorded August 7th, 1980. So I guess that these all... So here's the other interesting thing. It, they're very specific with the date of August 7th, 1980. I, you know, I guess it was literally... They they tracked... They must have tracked all of this in one day. That's what I'm gleaning from this. So much like... But you know, it's funny. Jerry never talks about recording this all in one day the way that they tracked all of Earth AD in six hours. They tracked all of Earth AD in six hours. They don't talk about track, but if they can track Earth AD in six hours, what's to say that they didn't track all of this stuff on August 7th, 1980? Which would explain why maybe, all right, ready? I'm going to piece something together. If that's true, if everything took place on August 7th, 1980, here's my two cents on it. Ready? And again, fear, this is our theory. We're going down the rabbit hole. Let's go down the rabbit hole with Jeff. Ready? Here's my theory. There was one recording session where they tracked all this stuff. Bobby Steele shows up, right? Because 
maybe my theory is not so theoretical. Bobby still shows up, pulls some stuff that really pisses off Jerry, who's paying for the session. And that's when they make the decision to uh, ax him from the band. They bring Doyle in. No, that wouldn't make sense either. Or Bobby. Well, I guess that doesn't make any sense. All right, forget I said that. Forget. I thought I had a, thought I was having a, a eureka moment there, but maybe not. And you can see here the writing is really cool. I don't know who wrote this. It doesn't look like Glenn's handwriting. It doesn't look like Glenn's uh, big big block print handwriting. But it was written by somebody. Maybe it's written by Robbie Alter. And that looks like it's written. Skulls looks like it's written by Glenn. But everything else does not look like it's written by Glenn. And you can see some stuff is crossed out. Okay, I was wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I was right. Halloween opens the album. It closes with London Dungeon. Uh, closes with Halloween 2. Um, and if this is supposed to be an LP, this is even cooler. So the LP is supposed to open with Halloween. Side A concludes with Night of Living Dead. Side B opens with Horror Hotel. And Side B closes with Halloween 2. That's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah, the Astro Zombies, Ghoul's Night Out. Wow. And then you get that alternate take, which they found. But there were way more than that for the alternate takes, because I, I know because Tom Begowitz played them for me. That's right. The guy who designed this thing, when I went over to his house, I went over to Tom's house, the guy who created uh, 12 Hits from Hell and the box and stuff. My wife and I drove out to his house. I interviewed him for about two hours, and he had an iPod. <laughs> and on this iPod was every single, like, alternate take that you could imagine and there are multiple takes of things from static age there is a elvis version of some kind of hate that's right there's actually an elvis version where glenn is really doing this elvis lyric there's multiple versions of children in heat i've listened to some of this stuff not all of it he was just playing me all these alternate i just realized and that's a, that's when i really realized that even though everything that's out there in terms of, I guess, songs are really sort of out there. We're really just sort of like scratching the surface. And then really we were only scratching the surface when, you know, Manny came to light and Manny has his tape and yada, yada, yada. So I don't know. It was kind of like mind boggling to hear some of these things. I never thought that there was an alternate version to children and heat. I never thought there was alternate version to some kind of hate. Sometimes I like imagine that I, that I, that I made this up, that I imagined it, but I didn't. He had it all on an iPod and I saw him doing the click wheel of the iPod and he just scrolling down and he's got way more misfit songs than 54 songs. There's way more of them. And they're only on that iPod as far as I know, or, you know, on his computer, he's got it all, man. He's got the goods. I'll tell you some of these music guys, they got the goods. They do. So, and my wife heard it too, but my wife doesn't care about this stuff. So, you know, it's not whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know whose handwriting this is. And this is, so this is what they went by for the track listing. And that's to say, who knows if it was even really truly the track listing. This just might've been an idea for the sequencing, but how do they actually know this was supposed to be the track listing? In any case, it's a really cool idea that this project came to light. Let's find out what happened. Why did it not go down? What, what was the thing that destroyed everything, right? Let's take a look. Um, okay, they say right here, going back to the original master tapes brought about brought up another bonus. The never before heard and never before released outtake version of London Dungeon. 
appropriately titled London Dungeon Alternate Take. It was added to the new release as the 13th song of the new album. Now, when you listen to the alternate take of London Dungeon, I, I don't he really hear any difference. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've listened to it, but I feel like it's just very similar to, I don't know. It doesn't really feel that alternate to me. <laughs> um, most interesting about these recordings is that they were made during a transitional period for the Misfits. The recording began when Bobby Steele guitarist recorded multiple guitar tracks on most every song and the majority of the guitar on the entire album. So Bobby is playing the majority of the guitar on the entire album, right? Before the album was even completed, Bobby was kicked out of the band. Um, so this is what I'm trying to figure out. There couldn't have been one recording day. There had to have been, there had to have been, oh, you're Pete, you're right. Pete is right. Pete says the, the lyrics are different. Pete, you're totally right. The lyric, that's what it is. The lyrics are different. And and Tom Begowitz uh, pulled that up in the, uh, when they were soloing, this is what he told me in the interview, when he's soloing the different tracks on the board, they pulled up something and that had the alternate scratch lyrics. And that's what they decided that he made a decision to put that in there. Thank you for reminding me of that. Thank you. Um, here's what I don't understand. How, and this is the mystery here. It is a mystery, baby, to me. Uh, if anybody else, I'd love to hear anybody else's opinions on this. But so there, it couldn't have just been recorded on, they couldn't have tracked everything on, on August 7th, 1980. They had to have done additional days in the studio because I would imagine that, that Doyle would come in and then finish up tracking guitar without Bobby there, right? In a way, then one asked the question, this question, why do they get Doyle to track the guitar and not Glenn? Why doesn't Glenn just do it himself? Answer? Here's my, here's my Occam's razor answer. What is the best possible scenario? Spite. They wanted to spite Bobby. They're going to replace Bobby with the bass player's younger brother who barely knows how to play guitar. That's, that was done out of spite. Because Bobby's like, one of the best things that happened to that band guitar wise, right? Like they lose Frank, you know, uh, Frank is a decent solid player that they could have gone with, you know, had he been able to tour or whatever his deal was, they get, they get lucky with Bobby. And now their Bobby is become a problem because of his attitude and his ego and whatever. And now they're going to, they're going to go, they're going to lower their musicality to spite Bobby in, by having him record over this album. Because Glenn could have just done it. And maybe Glenn did do it. Maybe Glenn also did it. And, and Doyle was just credited because they did stuff like that too, where they credit Doyle or they credit you know someone else even though they didn't play on it. So I don't know. Who knows? Um, but I would imagine there's more than one recording date. There has to be. And I would imagine that they have Doyle do it instead of Glenn because – they wanted to piss off Bobby or they thought it maybe it would be more insulting. I don't know. I don't know. I truly don't know. I'm trying to come up with things right now, but I don't know. Crap. Um, Jerry only bassist, little brother Doyle joined as the new guitarist in the band and finished the recording session by here. It says by recording a guitar track of his own on all, but a few of the songs. So Bobby might even play guitar on all of certain songs and some on others. So maybe they mixed Bobby 
and Doyle together on some songs, and then there's some songs where it's just Bobby and some songs where it's just Doyle. Like that. That's how it works. I'm guessing. Um, later, this song, these songs were mixed to feature a unique blend of both Bobby and Doyle's guitar sounds. So although the Misfits were never more than a four-piece band, the great thing about the session is that the five, five of the original members ended up contributing to it, and six if you include Robbie Alder, who's not a member but is you know a producer of, of some sort. Uh, the songs on the album sound amazing. Some who have heard it will tell you that it is by far the greatest Misfits album ever. There you go. But, you know, I really do think they're great. And I really do think the Misfits benefited from being, like, remixed in a modern sort of way. You know, in the same way that Static Age benefits from the Misfits being remixed in a modern sort of way. You know, kind of interesting when you think about that. Um, you may be wondering why 12 Hits from Hell never made it as a full-length release back in 1980. Well... Two years after the completion of this would-be album, the Misfits signed a full record deal with Ruby Records, right? Slash. At that point, the new deal... Here you go. There you go. At that point, the new deal called for a new album basically turned the MSP sessions into a demo for their upcoming album titled Walk Among Us. This also explains why 12 Hits from Hell has so many of the same songs, although different versions, as the album Walk Among Us. To find out why this album was canceled in 2001 and many other interesting facts uh, that will keep 12 Hits from Hell off store shelves forever, please read Frequently Asked Questions. All right, let's let's move over to the Frequently Asked Questions. Oh, boy, is that a, that's a thick mama right there. All right. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Okay. Was this CD ever released? Technically, no, the CD was never released. It was very close to the actual release date when Caroline Records, Astroworks, canceled the release of the album. They had already sent out thousands of promotional CDs, and thank God they did. That's how we all got to hear it. Because if they hadn't, if they hadn't even gotten that far, if they hadn't manufactured anything, we would have never heard this. We would have never gotten to hear this. It would be a, a sought-after lost gem. Uh, there were a few different versions of the promotional CDs sent out. But the most common version had the full artwork, and basically it was the exact same version as the CD that was going to be re the re uh, released, with the exception that it either had a scratch through the barcode, which is a very common thing to do with promotional stuff, or a hole punch in the upper right side of the J card. That's what they would do. Plus, the promos were never sealed or given a description sticker. When the CD was canceled, a letter was sent out on October 11th, 2001 to stores. Its purpose was to recall all of the promos that were sent out. But of course, when, you know, a great CD comes in, par okay, I got to pause real quick to talk about how sad this is. Parmy would like to hear an Earth AD remaster. Um, yeah, I would like to hear an Earth AD remaster too, but I'm not holding my breath because those tapes were sent to Germany and they were lost to time, supposedly. They're not, you can't. That's it, baby. There are no more tape. There, there are no Earth AD masters to be remastered. I think everybody would like to hear an Earth AD remaster. I'd like to just hear the tracks like solo by themselves. I'd just like to hear how they sound. Um, that would be interesting. Um, in any case, you know what happens. Cool new promo. Some anticipated new promo was released. And you go down to the record store and you're like, you're like, Jimmy. Jimmy, Joey, 
Mikey, Eric, whoever, the manager, friend, or whatever. Yo, you got to let me get that CD. You got to let me get that promo, blah, 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 that sort of thing. What do you got in the back? You got anything in the back? Let, you know, uh, just sort of like letting that stuff. Because what? Because there was actually a time back in the day, I mean, this might sound archaic to someone who's like young or born in the, the digital age, part of the Z generation or the I generation, whatever the hell it is, where, yeah, like you, <laughs> you would send out promotional versions of the album to a record store. And then they would play it or preview it, and that was one of the perks of working in a in a in a music store or a video store. You got to see something way in advance of when it would come out, or if it was a hot new release, it would be you know vacuum sealed in the back, you know, saran wrapped in the back, waiting to come out. And I used to work, you know, I worked in Sam Goody, I worked in Fye, and I remember those days, man. I remember. Uh, though I was at the tail end of it, man, the, the that glorious period of time where you get the advanced, see the advanced stuff there. Um, yeah, I agree, man. Hear the isolated guitar for uh, guitar sound for that album. He's referring to Earth AD with the feedback guitar droning on some tracks. That would be sick. Um, so you know, obviously, a couple of twelve hits from Hell's fell off the back of a truck, if you know what I mean, right? Um, the stores were instructed to send the CDs back to the country. Who that country company? Yeah, right. Yeah, we're really going to send those CDs back to the company. Um, obviously, most of them were not sent back, and that is the reason why diehard Mr. Sands have been able to get their hands on copies of the CD, the can of uh, the CD, the cancellation of Twelve Hits from Hell, automatically created an extremely rare and collectible CD. That, what? Okay. Uh, two, why was the album recalled, canceled uh, at the last minute? Uh, why hasn't the CD come out? Okay, great question. Great question. This is the most interesting question of all. Since there are so many different opinions on the subject, I'm going to quote the record company and the band members who were involved with the project. Uh, that way you can decide for yourself. I like that approach. I think that's important. That's the way it should always be done, right? The initial reason that was given on why the CD was recalled is because it was said that both Glenn and Jerry felt that the album was not up to quality standard. We were told that Glenn had a problem with the layout and that there were some errors in the credits. Okay, so that is interesting. So that kind of makes sense. So maybe Glenn is livid that it's said that the... Um, because this essentially the thing that we've not discussed yet, the, the thing to really remember here is that this is not released by the band. The band has nothing to do with this release. Glenn Danzig has nothing to do with this release, and Jerry has nothing to do with this release. If Glenn saw that the producer was a guy, was Robbie Alter, he probably was pretty pissed off because in Glenn's mind, Glenn is the producer of no matter what, Glenn Danzig or the Misfits would be considered the producer of this Misfits material. Um, so that right there, the fact that this is being done without Glenn and Jerry's approval or being done without Glenn and Jerry's, you know, overseeing it, Glenn's already pissed off about the box set. He's also pissed off about how the collections one and two were handled or maybe just collection two was handled, right? Um, so now he sees an opportunity to put a kibosh on another release that's featuring 
both Doyle and Bobby as guitarists. That's the Glenn side. Then the Jerry side and Bobby, well, I'll let Bobby explain. Bobby explain, will explain it here. But there's a reason that Bobby feels why Jerry uh, put the kibosh from, from his angle. Because in Jerry Only's mind, in Jerry Only's mind, um, you know, this is this is money printing money, you know, in the sense of he's not getting the publishing royalties, but he gets mechanical royalties on this stuff. And this is still in the age where you could get money. I mean, you could make money off of your mechanical royalties because people are buying CDs like, whoa. So I'd imagine that's still money on the table for Jerry in the same way that, you know, the the rest of the Misfits catalog is lucrative in, in the 90s. You know, uh, they made a they made a mint on that stuff, right? Started the money started to come in, the royalties things. Um, hold on, uh, this is the most interesting question of all. Okay, the uh, the, yeah, the initial that the, there were errors in credits, right? So Robbie Alters being listed as the producer. Next, we were told that Jerry had a problem with the final mix of the music, that it wasn't satisfactory, and that it needed to be remixed. Now remember. Here's another thing to consider. Huge thing, huge revelatory thing here about to remember. This is the year 2001. This is a post Misfits 95 Jerry, where Jerry has already not only was he struggling with Chud and Graves, but he's had two uh, lukewarm experiences with record labels. He's just gotten done dealing with the hassle of Roadrunner and how he felt that Roadrunner had hassled famous monsters. He's trying to start his own record label, Misfits Records. You know, he's thinking about doing this 1950s project, yada, 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 whatever. Uh, Cuts from the Crypt is going to, is is due out. And here is this album that's coming out of Misfits stuff that has nothing to do with, J- Jerry has no say in it. When Jerry, when when Jerry is struggling for control in some way, shape, or form with record companies, I'm sure this must have rubbed Jerry the wrong way in some way, shape, or form. I would imagine that's why Jerry suddenly Jerry and Glenn find themselves on the same side of this situation because of that in some way, shape, or form. Again, I'm not an authority. I do not know. Always have to put that disclaimer. As I talk about this stuff, because like I said, I am not an expert. I'm not, I, I am, was not a flaw. I was not there, <laughs> right? I'm just a nerd trying to figure this stuff out. Um, so, right. So that Jerry had a problem with the final mix of music. And then again, this is like Jerry, who like now that he's recorded two albums on his own with his version of the Misfits, suddenly, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I know what I'm doing and blah, 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 blah. And like this should be, you know, I don't like the way that this sounds or blah, blah this is not how it, you know, suddenly he has to have, he wants to have an opinion on this. He, he finally, you know, Jerry has his voice that he, he might not have had in the original Misfits when Glenn was the, the head honcho and leader, right? Um, let's see here. They would not allow its release unless the CD was changed to their liking. It says licking here. Was changed to their licking. Um, was changed to their liking. Uh, but is that true? Uh, but maybe Glenn's demands might have been mix Bobby. Glenn and Jerry are both going mix Bobby out of the album. Let us redo the art, yada, yada, yada. And the record company has spent so much money on the release already. They're like, we're not going to we're not gonna yield to these demands and redo all this stuff. And we're so in the hole. We're not going to recoup our expenses at this point. So the 
they reach an impasse. I would imagine. I would imagine. Um, but the situation uh, actually gets much more complicated than that. So the situation is even more complicated. Um, Glenn Danzig, misfit singer and songwriter, was never contacted, involved, or notified about this project until it was completed. And he received a promo of the CD in the mail. Could you imagine how livid Glenn Danzig would be for that to happen? To just see a Misfits release. Because what has Glenn fought against uh, in the 90s and the you know 80s or whatever, or in his, in his Glenn Danzig mind? What has he always fought against? Bootlegging. He hates bootlegs. Why does he hate bootlegs? Because A, they're making money off of his stuff. But B... Glenn doesn't, Glenn is like, he, he oversees every part of the, he oversees every part of the process, man. He's involved in the writing, the recording. He does all the marketing. He did all the layout. He did everything in constructing those Misfits releases. And now here he is being handed a release. And maybe that's also why he has such a problem with the box set. Because he's not involved, even though he didn't want to be involved with the box set. Or he wasn't allowed to be involved with the box set. So now all of a sudden he gets the CD and it's just like, what the, f you know, I don't know. I would imagine. Um, so he receives it in the mail. Um, and, you know, again, those guys, and also this is post lawsuit. These guys are post lawsuit for the battle of the misfits from 1994, right? Jerry wins, or at least they reach a thing. Jerry wins the name and the right to record and Glenn wins the publishing. But those guys are like now like probably super ultra paranoid about being in control of their image, of their brand, of their stuff. And so here's an example, a great example of something that could have been really great. But here's an example of something that uh, was done outside of their control. And therefore, no matter how good it is, no matter how much they might secretly like it, even if there's some stuff that needs to be tweaked, how could it ever come out? It can't come out. They didn't sign off on it. You know, that's probably where it's coming from. Partially that's gotta be some of the mindset there. I don't know. Um, you can imagine he was probably a bit upset at not at least being contacted about a new release of his material since he is usually so here you go. Since he was usually so closely involved with all these releases, Glenn was also a bit upset about the information given in the CD Apparently, some of the photos in the layout were, credit, were credited improperly. So he said the errors would need to be corrected before it gets re-released. Another rumor, but not a fact. Erie Vaughn did the liner notes for the 12 Hits album. Glenn may have been upset about that, too, since Erie was no longer a, me of, a member of Danzig's current band. Totally, totally why he was pissed off about it. That's got, that has to be it, man. Partially. Plus the Bobby thing, plus not knowing, right? Not not being made aware of it. Jerry only says, we were unsatisfied with the mix. Uh, it should eventually be corrected. He hasn't said much more than this. But others seem to think that he has a hidden, hidden agenda behind why he would like a remix. Um, Bobby Steele, main guitarist on the album. Main guitarist on the album. So like I said, Bobby plays guitar on most of the album. Doyle plays guitar on uh, Bobby plays most of guitar on 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 some of the tracks, and then they share guitar on a couple tracks, and then Doyle plays guitar on only a couple of tracks. At least that's as far as how I understand it. 
So there's there's a little bit of overlap, and then there's some there's mostly Bobby and some uh, Doyle, right? So this is what Bobby says as the main guitarist on the album. He would like the album. Uh, uh, he would like the album released as is. He is convinced that the only reason that Jerry only wants to remix the album is so that they can cut out his guitar playing. When the album was originally planned for release, Bobby's guitar tracks were the main focus of the new album. His guitar tracks created the primary sound of the album. Bobby says, "If a see, I don't think Glenn cares so much about this. I think this is." If anybody cares about it, it's 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 Jerry, and that's because of all the 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 uh, the friction between Jerry and Bobby in the in the late nineties and you know over a lot of stuff. Frankly, there's a lot of stuff there between uh, Jerry and Bobby, and you know Bobby would eventually sue Jerry a number of times along with Arthur Googie. They would like co-sue Jerry over stuff, over money, yada yada yada. Um. Bobby says if a remix occurs, most likely his guitar tracks will be taken out of the mix or that Doyle's guitar track will become the dominant uh, guitar in the recording. This may seem strange to some people, but it is not that strange when you consider the history of the Misfits. To this day, Bobby and Jerry have never made peace. They do not get along. Originally, Bobby was kicked out of the Misfits. It is rumored, according to Jerry only, that the reason Bobby was kicked out of the band was because of his terrible guitar playing. This comes from that other th that this comes from that ugly things interview uh, number twelve that we that we went over. Go back in my episodes and you can hear us hear us talk about all that stuff. Bobby says that this album showcases his greater his great guitar work and that he's convinced that it would finally prove to Misfits fans that those rumors were false. It is also rumored that that is extremely that it is extremely hard to deal with Bobby Steele. Some say he lives in the past too much and that it creates irritation to the other Misfits members. That's probably Jerry saying that, you know, being mad that Bobby always calls himself, um, you know, an ex, you know, ex Misfit. Uh, so here's the, so now here are, here are some actual comments typed by Bobby Steele himself on this matter. Okay. So here's Bobby actually talking about it. Jerry's been very quiet. He just doesn't want to give Bobby the attention or say anything. All he says is, what does he say? He just says, oh, we need to remix the album. And really, when he remixes the album, he'll probably remix Bobby out of the album completely. Which is something that I think Jerry would do, uh, despite how great Bobby would sound on it. Um, here's some actual comments typed by Bobby Steele himself on this matter. Uh, Jerry knew about this release. I have an interview in a zine called Altercation that came out in September 2001 where Jerry talked about it. As far as his excuse that the Misfits were never intended to be a five-piece, I'd like to see that lie too. He didn't gripe about the combination of mine and Doyle's tracks on various cuts of the box set. The agreement regarding Caroline's ownership and the settlement in the lawsuit clearly state that Glenn and Jerry's approval cannot be unreasonably withheld and that their excuses are about as unreasonable. Wait, hold on. The agreement regarding Carolyn's, Caroline's ownership and the settlement in the lawsuit clearly say that Glenn and Jerry's approval cannot be unreasonably withheld, meaning that they cannot, they have to have good reason to withhold something. It can't be unreasonable. 
uh, and their excuses are about as unreasonable as it gets, especially when you realize that Glenn is upset about not being properly credited, and he never gave anyone proper credit himself. On the legacy argument, uh, compare those versions with the real versions, like on Static Age, and you'll see that the real tracks are much better. The only true reason they are withholding this release is the most obvious one. For 20 years, they lied to you about the Misfits and my guitar playing. This release would prove that they lied. It also gives the best representation of the band as it existed at that time. I actually agree with that. If Jerry had picked me up to do the rest of my tracks, because he's claiming that Jerry didn't, wouldn't give him a ride, and, and Bobby could not get there with his equipment. If Jerry had picked me up to do the rest of my tracks instead of bringing Doyle in there, so there was definitely more than one recording date. It's not just uh, Octo uh, August 7th. It's th there was another recording date. Instead of bringing Doyle in, uh, instead of bringing Doyle in there, uh, have been a bit more of the feedback. What? If Jerry had picked me up to do the rest of my tracks instead of bringing Doyle in there, there'd been a lot more of the feedback tracks and dynamics like you hear in London Dungeon. Okay. So he's claiming that this, the rest of the album would have sounded more like London Dungeon, having feedback tracks and more dynamics like the London Dungeon stuff. I spoke with Jerry at Chiller. This is probably, when he says he spoke with Jerry at Chiller, he's probably talking about in like 1996 or 1997 when Jerry was also att attending Chiller. Bobby would attend Chiller for years and years and years. Jerry eventually would stop. Um, uh, I spoke with Jerry at Chiller, and he said he's working on buying tapes from, from Caroline. Rocky said it'll never come out. That sure sounds like they're not thinking about the fiends and what you want at all. The general consensus is that this is the best Misfits album yet. There's a chance it could be mixed to sound a little better, but there's also the same chance that it could end up like Night of the Living Dead. Listen to the original mix, which is on the box set, and then listen to the muddled mess that Glenn remixed as it is on the 45. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Now, additionally, at these chiller theaters, for a long time, and again, I am so going to gloss over this because Pod's Magic, Pod's, Mag, Pod's Magic Cockatoo says he was there. I'm assuming you were there at the chiller when Bobby was talking to Jerry. So I don't know the whole story, and I really don't want to talk out of turn here. I'm just going to talk about what I remember. Uh, do not take – please take it to the grain of salt. So the lawsuit finishes in 1994. There is settlements. There's a settlement. Caroline actually pays back royalties on behalf of Glenn. As part of, they, they foot the bill for Glenn. Glenn never had to come out of pocket on those, on those royalties from the 80s that, that he was making, getting by himself to pay back members. Bobby was not originally on that deal. He would eventually get in on that deal, but not originally. And he was coming around to Jerry and going, when am I going to see my royalties? When am I going to get my money? When am I going to get my money? It was kind of like, from the way I remember hearing it, or it was told to me, or wherever, I, again, I'm trying to remember the details, but it was essentially something along the lines of like, it was like Maury from Goodfellas. You know when Maury is going to Robert De Niro and he's going, uh, you know, the wig guy? And he's going, what? Come on, where's my cut? I want my cut. I want my cut. And then they, they ice pick him, you know? And it's kind of like that. that's what would happen. They'd be at, like, Chiller. 
you know. And um, I was around the time. It was around the time they were signing with Roadrunner. Interesting. I didn't realize they had signed with Roadrunners uh, in 96. I thought they were with Geffen in 96. They didn't sign with Roadrunner until 1999. Uh, again, prove me wrong. I don't know. I actually don't know. But, but you know, what's-his-face is kind of like, you know, what's-his-face is kind of being all sweet. Not, they're, you know, trying to be, like, friendly or whatever, you know. But Bobby's, you know, trying to talk to Jerry about getting his royalties, and Jerry just keeps telling him, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I believe that was a, a source of contention. I also think, and forgive me, Bobby, if I'm speaking out of turn, um, I think at some point, I wonder if Bobby ever thought maybe he would get back in the reformed 95 Misfits. And I wonder if like a little bit of the, the bittersweetness between them is that Bobby was maybe expecting that maybe he could be asked back and be second guitar, which honestly would have been such a great idea um, and was never asked back. And I think that might've been uh, a source, a slight source of contention. But again, I don't actually know that. I really, really don't. However, imagine, imagine for a moment if Bobby Steele, who's calling me, imagine for a moment if Bobby Steele came back into the Misfits in 95, how cool would that be? Imagine Doyle's guitar with Bobby's guitar. I mean, it would never happen, but just imagine for a moment them as a five-piece in the 90s. So not only do you have two original members, you have three original members. Would have been very interesting. It was an interesting, an interesting uh, uh, situation. I'll do my Jamie homework. I don't get it. I don't get it. I was hanging with Graves and Jerry and two chicks from Roadrunner Records. Okay, so Potter, you claim so you're saying that it was Roadrunner Records in '96. So why did it take them three years to release an album? Wait, Potter, I'm so confused. How are you sure that it was it was Roadrunner? It had to be Geffen Records. It couldn't have been Roadrunner because they didn't release the didn't Amer American Psycho didn't come out until 1997. They would have, dude. Are you sure you're not? You don't mean uh, Geffen Geffen Records? I think that's what you mean. Um. So. So yeah. So he's like that. That's going on at Chiller as well. Just additional context. Again, don't remember the whole story there. Um. More comments by Bobby. I ran into Jerry this weekend, and again, I don't know what year this is. I guess this is this would be around 2000, 2000, 2001. I ran into Jerry this weekend, and apparently he's trying to buy... Okay, so this has to be post-2001. This is probably 2002, maybe. I ran into Jerry this weekend, and apparently he's trying to buy the 12 Hits Masters back from Caroline. Rocky said it'll never come out. I take this to mean that they plan on destroying the tapes as soon as they gain custody of them. Wasn't there... Wasn't someone else who what? Wasn't there someone else who was born on the same date as Jerry, who would wanted to who wanted to rewrite history? Hmm. What? What does he mean? Wasn't there someone else who was born on the same date as Jerry, who wanted to rewrite history? Again, Caroline owns the Masters, and Glenn and Jerry only have a right to reasonably refuse any release. There is no reason, in Bobby's mind, there is no reasonable argument for them to withdraw it, which is why they have to come up with such whoppers as ba bad sound 
poor mastering and Jerry's claim that he never knew about it, despite running an ad on MisfitCentral.com for a time. Ooh. Uh, and discussing it in interviews last summer. He was all for it until he realized it would prove what a liar he is. I don't think Jerry only, honestly, I, I don't think Jerry only gives a crap. I really don't think Jerry only would give a crap about being called a liar. I don't think that that entered his mind at all. I think that's Bobby has no idea what he's talking about in that, in that realm. Yeah. The year might be wrong, dude. If the year you're so pod, you're wrong about the year. Then it's, it would have been the, it would have been later than 96. Please do. Um, Rue says, I remember running into Bobby Steele at the new fit, new fits gig when Joey and Marky came out and played a few tracks. Great show. And Jerry hates Roadrunner, right? So, Rue, what was that? That was around 2002, 2003, something like, no, 2002, 2001, right? M25, that'd be 2001. So, that's right around th this time when all this stuff is happening. Um, so, he thinks that, that, that he, he thinks that Jerry's worried about being proven that he's a liar. I don't think so. Uh, yes, folks, we're looking at Hitler's last days in the bunker. Come on, Bobby. Bobby wrote that. Uh, funny how how the two not only share the same birthday, but the same philosophy. Hitler said death before just, oh, he's saying that. Oh, I, now I understand. Now I understand what he's saying. He's talking about the, the person who he shares a birthday with. He's saying that Jerry shares a birthday with Hitler. Uh, death before dishonor, Jerry. Uh, in the original Cyclopean membership cards had the slogan, life without honor is not life at all. Maybe it's time for for him to put a bullet in his own head. Jesus, that's, Bobby is really angry. Bobby is an angry guy. So Rue says 96. Okay, so you're saying that, you're saying that Bobby Steele, okay, sorry. Okay, sorry, I'm all confused. Huh. So the Iggy Pop tribute was in 1996. Bobby played on three tracks from 12 Hits from Hell. Only uh, Peter, are you sure about that, man? Dude, the Rollins episode was so great. Oh, my God. It, it really was. Gary, I, you know what? It might be on my other computer, Gary. I'm going to see if I can find it. Because that would really be something to have on there. On my, I wonder if I could put that on my channel. I wonder if that would get flagged for anything. You think? If I can find it, I'll put it up. I'll I'll attempt to put it up at least. And maybe I'll, we'll 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 listen to Henry. We'll do a, We'll do some commentary on it. I, I guess. Uh, I don't know if Bobby only. Where are you getting that information, Pete? Are you saying is that from Misfits Central? That he only played on three tra three tracks from Twelve Hits. I think he played on way more than that. I think he played on the majority of it. And again, I didn't realize that the Iggy Pop tribute. I thought that was in 1999. I guess that was in 1996. And this, okay, so this is 1996, huh? Right. That would make. But but oh, Joey Joey Ramone and Marky. Ah, I'm thinking you're talking about Joey Image. Because Joey Image wouldn't come until 2001. Okay, or 2000, I should say. Okay, thank you. That clears everything up. Sorry for the confusion, people. Anyway, back to back to a really bitter Bobby comparing Jerry to Hitler because they're they share a birthday. Jesus, Bobby, come on. More comments by Bobby. Caroline, 
Caroline owns the masters and copyrights, and we are only allowed to reasonably withhold permission of any release. Considering how Caroline saw it fit to respond to inquiries from everyone other than me, including the fiends, that's a major diss. I know of, see, Bobby's also mad because Bobby would have seen uh, royalties from this release. That's another thing that Jerry probably did not want. Bobby would have gotten paid from this album, and Jerry doesn't want Bobby to get paid. That I don't think Jerry Jerry doesn't care about being called a liar. Jerry doesn't want Bobby to, to, to see a penny from that from that album, if anything. Which is why he either want to buy the tapes and then remix them himself. Whatever, whatever. That was also probably something he just told the to Bobby to get him off his back. Um, considering how Caroline saw that, that's a major disc. I know of totally unassociated fiends who were given promos of this months ago. That's another major diss. I merely asked if I could have some free copies, and they can't reply to that. So he's pissed that he had asked Caroline for free copies of 12 Hits from Hell and that they couldn't reply to that. I'm sure it was probably a big, you know, a, a bit of solace for Bobby, who was, who was uh, uh, jettisoned from the band, that here he is playing guitar on... Here he is playing guitar on the on the friggin' thing, on the whole thing. Peter says Bobby only played on I Turn Into a Martian, Violent World, and London Dungeon. Danzig played guitar on Halloween too. See, I think that maybe on the re-release single he did. I don't know, Pete. Pete, where are you getting your information? Is this from Misfit Central? Turn, I turn into Martian, Violent World, and London Dungeon. Hmm. All right. Any case. Yeah, he's bitter, man. Bobby is super friggin' bitter about this. And he's like, here he is seeing a major payday coming up the pike, and it just gets the kibosh. And there's something that's very important. 12 Hits from Hell, I think, is responsible for something really, really important. And we're going to get to that at the very tail end of this, of which we're, we're almost through. Um. Uh, sorry, I'm like this. The hand, the, the writing is so small; it's very hard to see what I'm looking at here. Um, seeing as the whole thing was being uh, touted for having my guitar tracks, they should contact me. I know the exact. I know the exact terms of the settlement, and I am supposed to be respected for my contribution. There are some things in the agreement that are still questionable, like whether Jerry and or Glenn had the right to sell these and not pay me and Joey our share could mean for some serious legal technicalities in the end. As it is, 12 hits from hell proves that you've been lied to by these guys. The sealed court documents prove that even further. More comments by Bobby. I just found out about this. I'm trying to find out what's going on. I think the mix is great. Maybe Glenn and the Misfits don't like the fact that it shows them it shows them for what they have been for 20 years, liars. It's pretty funny that Caroline has evidently responded to those parties but still shows total contempt when it comes to me. I have been trying to get answers from Ashley for 2 weeks. I was talking to some lady called Ashley about this. I'll try. Yes. Pod of 98. That makes a lot of sense. I was a kid, but that was an awesome chiller theater year. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense, Pod, because, because why it, it, they would, they would have still been with Geffen uh, in 96. 
So Bobby had been trying to contact some lady, some rep from Caroline uh, named Ashley. More comments by Bobby. I don't think they'd be so stupid as to overdub new guitar tracks at this point. I have been hearing that they intend to change the content in the book. So that could mean removing uh, any good things said about me in it. Of course, they'd be stupid to do that too. Hopefully they'll just get uh, give it a better cover. The more support I get based on the current version from Fiends, the better chance we have of putting the pressure to release this mix or a better mix approved by me. So now Bobby wants a mix approved by him. Uh, maybe we can show Caroline that if they make changes that are defamatory to me, uh, it'll be boycotted. Come on. Uh, there's that word again. And MP3s of this mix would be accepted versions of this album. I'm fighting for this one. I mean, if, they're if they approve the poor-sounding versions in the box set, then they have no argument for not approving this version. I understand a lot of you have written to Caroline, and I would appreciate it if you would forward uh, his replies with full headers to me at undead.juno.com. That's the infamous ancient Bobby Steele email address that probably still, probably still can reach Bobby there. Um, thanks. I just got a legal department from the, uh, I just got an email from the legal department at EMI who I guess made the mistake of buying Caroline and they have demanded that I cease and desist from among other things, doing anything to try and get Caroline to tell me where my missing royalties are. In other words, uh, if I email Ashley at astralworks.com and ask, where's my money? They'll have me arrested. Go ahead, Ashley. Tell me. Why are you helping in this cover-up? Bobby thinks there's a cover-up against him. I'm just glad everyone has gotten copies of this music. I've heard the rumors that Jerry has been telling people that I will be removed from these recordings. I know, right? Well, what do you mean, Peter? What do you mean test pressings? Are you referring to, are you referring for the vinyl? Because the vinyl is bootleg. The CDs are the only official things that come out. They never did a vinyl pressing of 12 Hits from Hell. Um, so, okay. So that's everything that Bobby Steele says. And as you can see, Bobby sounds bitter. Um, he's going to lose a payday possibly on this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sour grapes there. Um, there's a lot of sour grapes from a lot of different people over a lot of different things, you know, I guess. Carol so here's what Caroline Records, Astroworks, the record company has to say. Um, yeah, wow. Are you, oh, you're just finding that out. I'm so sorry. Yes. All the vinyls are bootlegs. There's no official, there's never any promo bootleg. If you have, if you have a vinyl, it is 150% a bootleg. I'm sorry to say it's still cool. It still sounds great. Probably on vinyl, but it is a bootleg, which is probably, which probably means that it came from the, Hey, you love bootlegs. Then you're all set. There, there's no problem there. Good. Here, so here's what Caroline Records has to say about some stuff. By the way, if you like this content, please like this video. Leave a comment. Please subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to my channel. Uh, if you get an ad come up, you, you know what really helps me? You know what helps me to get paid without, you know, actually getting paid? Let the ad play through. If it doesn't bother you, if you don't have anything else better to do, maybe you got to go wash your dishes. Go wash your dishes while the ash, while the while the ad plays, and then, and then come back. You got to go take your dog out for a quick, you know, has to go to the bathroom real quick. Let that happen. Let the ad play out. That that's a big help to me. 
Just putting that out there, people. Um, Caroline Records. So here's what Caroline Records says. Ready? They stated the album would not be released due to an, an inferior mastering error. That sounds kind of like BS. In their original cancellation letter, that was probably that was the excuse that they used, that they sent out. One year later, after the original release date of the album, I personally received an email from Ashley at Astroworks telling me exactly this. The version that was withdrawn was not pleasing to the Misfits because there was a false remix and not a representation of the band's authentic sound as it had two guitars in the mix. The Misfits never had two guitars. That's what it's about. Bobby Steele is the reason. Bobby Steele is the reason that 12 Hits is dead. You got to suck, suck, Jackie, suck. Um, now remember, when they say Misfits, that just means Jerry because he owns the Misfits name now. After I read that, it seemed more like what Bobby stated was true. If you think about it, many of the original Misfits recordings had two guitars or more on the same song mix. It is common to double your guitar tracks when recording. 12 Hits from Hell was no different. It even featured the original album producer, Robbie Alter, playing additional guitar on London Dungeon and Violent World. Are they going to take him off the album too? Whoever said that playing additional guitars on the album changes the band to a five-piece? Obviously, the excuse is complete junk. We all know the Misfits were never a five-piece band. They never had this problem when they put out the same songs in the Misfits box set or the original Three Hits from Hell, 7-inch, or the original Halloween 7-inch. So why now? My point is, the complaint seems totally stupid. The band never recorded as a five-piece. They just added an additional guitar track with a new member joining when, when a new member joined the band. Obviously that's what they wanted back then. And if you ask me, I think it is actually pretty great having a Misfits album that was fully recorded with two original Misfits guitars. There you go. There you go. Um, Bobby was so upset by this that Glenn and Glenn made a comment in an interview during the Circle of Snakes tour in uh, 2004, someone brought this up to, to, to Glenn. And Glenn dismissed Bobby even further, saying that Bobby can't even really play guitar, and that was Bobby's deal, and blah, blah, blah. So Glenn Danzig had it in his mind that Bobby was behind this project from the beginning. And in response to that, one thing that was said in one interview in one magazine, Bobby went out. And he and he had the the undead the undead recorded at postmortem studios, the undead recorded, twelve hits from hell uncovered as Bobby would put it and Bobby posted it on his MySpace that was the only way to hear it they never sold it it was never released in any other way shape or form of course some people figured out how to rip the MySpace music player remember the MySpace music player you can have a songs a variety of songs on your your MySpace uh, page. Uh, somebody ripped the mixes and or ripped the songs, and that's how we got them. Uh, so you you can hear Bobby Steele covering all of Twelve Hits from Hell by himself in two thousand seven, or at least the Undead. I don't know who who, who his guys were, bass player and drummer, if he had them. Um, but that's how much it it meant to Bob Bobby. It was way it was more. You know, I don't know how much money he spent on it. If he spent any money yes uh it is yes it is on youtube you can hear it all on youtube if you want should i uh post the link in the thing 
but it meant enough to Bobby that he was like, I'm going to record this to show everybody that my playing is good. But the funny thing is, Bobby, we all know your playing is good. I think, I think it's, um, and it just has, to, it just has to do with, you know, those guys putting the kibosh on it, you know, putting the kibosh on you, whatever you want to say. Yeah, here it is, actually. Well, this is so cool. 12 Hits from Hell comes up. My my current live streaming thing comes up. That's pretty sweet. I like that. I feel like I'm stumbling all over my words today. Here. I, this, is what, this is what YouTube has to say. Come on. Here we go. All right, here. I'm putting this in the in the chat. For anybody who has never heard this, it's no, I mean, it's not the Misfits. It's not as good as the Misfits version, but it's interesting. To, it's an interesting document to listen to if you've never heard it. If you've never had the opportunity to hear it, you should definitely check it out in the very least. And here's what, here's what Wikipedia says about it. So, real quick. Um... On Halloween, on Halloween 2007, so seven years or six years after this was supposed to come out, Halloween 2007, Bobby Steele posted his own version of 12 Hits from Hell, uh, recorded with his band, The Undead, as streaming audio. Oh, okay, so it was through the band's website, but it was also on the MySpace. Made from This was made from some lossy 128 kilobytes per second MP3 files found on the second page of the Google search. If anybody has a higher quality version, please let me know. And it's not, uh, yeah. I mean, Bobby's Bobby's voice doing these songs is not as good as Glenn, but uh, the guitar playing is fine. I think the guitar playing on 12 Hits from Hell in general is phenomenal. I really like it. I like the way the guitar sounds. I like the way that it's mixed. Like I said, that Night of the Living Dead to me is definitive. It's the best version of that song. My favorite version of that song by far. I think I like the Astro Zombies. No, I think actually Collection 1 Astro Zombies is my favorite. I don't know. Um, will the CD ever come out? The version of the CD that you see on this website will never be released. It is also not likely that you'll ever see another version of the CD released either. The record company still says that they are trying to work something out, but they've also said it looks as though we have lost so much money on the project that it seems like it will never come out. Caroline Records had to cancel the CD just two and a half weeks before its release. They destroyed all the CDs and not to mention all the advertising and posters that were sent out. And, you know, very few things have survived, but not much. Um, needless to say, a lot of money was lost on this project. We now know that if this CD ever does come out, it will be greatly altered. With different artwork and a mix that portrays the Misfits as a four-piece band. If they do ever go forward with all the changes, the album will be much less desirable than the discontinued version, so it probably won't be worth making. When Glenn Danzig was asked if it was ever coming out, he was quoted as saying, I doubt if the record company will ever get that thing done correct. Four, what happened to all the CDs that were made to be sent out to the stores before it was canceled? We are told that they were all destroyed. Five, how many of the CDs were made? No one knows for sure. One source says approximately 2,000 promo CDs were pressed and distributed. It also says 40,000 of the regular store-ready CDs were pressed and destroyed. 40,000 versions of this album were destroyed. Bobby is just silly. 12 hits is poor. Steals 
biggest frame to claim. I feel from the guy, but come on. I mean, yeah. Bobby, 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 Bobby. Love you, Bobby. But, uh, you know, hits and misses, Bobby. Hits and misses. Yeah, they probably lost like a million dollars. They probably lost a lot of, I don't know how, I don't know if it was a million, but they lost a lot of money. Definitely lost a lot of money. Um, what about the original 12-inch vinyl record? Were those ever made? Um, originally, I told you, no, absolutely not. That is not the truth. The truth is that, th oh, oh my God. Wait, how about that? Wow. They were going to have the first 2,000 records on orange vinyl. What? Yeah, it says it right here. Look at that. What about the 12-inch vinyl record? Were those ever made? Um, okay. Originally, I told you no, absolutely not. That's not the truth. Okay. Hey, I was wrong. I was wrong. The truth is that three black vinyl copies were made. How about that? On September 5th, 2001, six days before 9-11. Isn't that crazy? These test pressings were created by Universal Test Pressing and have an ouch, that's hot uh, in the matrix etchings. At least two LP sleeves were also printed for review by band members. <gasps> no further vinyl was ever pressed. The original plan was to press 2,000 copies of orange vinyl and 1,000 copies of white vinyl. None of the actual store shelf records were ever made. Caroline and Astroworks, the, the record company, has confirmed this over and over again. As for the acetate, one set was made. This acetate was created by the Hit, Factoring, uh, Hit Factory Mastering, Inc. Uh, that was done on August 23rd, 2001. You know what? Could this be? This might be as rare as, like, the friggin' uh, that Static Age single acetate. I mean, it's like probably the rarest thing in existence, right? I mean, that's super friggin' rare. Seven, are you sure there isn't a record? Because I have seen it in stores and on eBay, and it even has the Caroline Records logo on it. Nope. In 2002, someone bootlegged the whole album right from the CD. Uh, it is said that they pressed a thousand of these records. They look authentic, but they are not. They may have come from Germany. It seems that the, that's where they first popped up. Don't be fooled. If you get one at $20, it's a fair price to pay. The black vinyl has gone to a second pressing on a bit thinner record. There's also a limited number of them pressed on red vinyl, about 78 records worth. All of them are bootleg. I'd say that those records are pretty friggin' valuable today, right? If you could find them. Isn't it crazy to think how bootlegs themselves can be so sought after and rare and, and worth so much money? I mean, that kind of blows my mind. Seven. Uh, sorry, eight. Where can I get one of these rare CDs? Check eBay, but act fast because Caroline Records usually notices them and they will have an auction. Uh, they will have the auction ended. So make uh, so it makes it hard to buy and sell them on eBay. Lots of collectors buy and sell them online or check local uh, music stores and see by chance they have a promo for sale. Nine, was the CD ever really meant to be a full album? And how do you know the songs are in the order they originally intended to be in? The master tapes of the album have the track listing written out uh, and and it described the songs that would eventually go on side A and the songs that would go on side B of the record. The track listing was written by Glenn Danzig. You can actually see a scan of his handwriting on the back of the CD shows that, that shows the track listing. Okay, so that's supposed, I guess this, apparently this is Glenn's handwriting, but it doesn't, 
you know, we've seen so much of Glenn's handwriting, right? We've seen so much of it. So, like, is this really Glenn's handwriting? I don't know. That's so weird. Um, it is insane. Yeah. Whew. Choach. Um, okay. Haven't these songs been released already? Yes. All but one of them were in the box set and on various other Misfits releases. Right. The the second version of, of London Dungeon with alternate lyrics would, in fact, be, along with Spook City USA, the Misfits version, uh, probably the rarest tracks of all time right if american if american nightmare uh, along with along with mephisto waltz so there are three that only appear in one place in all of the misfit stuff i guess right i don't know um the was this blah, 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 sorry uh having these songs but right we already saw that 11 uh what's so great about these versions of these songs is the only recording session to feature both Bobby Steele and Doyle on guitar. The sound on this album is much different than your typical Misfits release. The guitar is much less distorted than most other guitar albums, and it's said to have an eerie vibe to it. Is there anything that was previously unreleased on the album? Yes, there was a never-before-released outtake of London Dungeon. 13, I have a sealed version of the promo CD. Should I keep it sealed? To my knowledge, these were never made. If it was factory sealed, it would have a sticker on it. I've never heard of them shrink wrapping the promo CDs. If yours is sealed, it was probably just sealed by the record store owner to make it look authentic or to add value to it. You can get anything shrimp shrink wrapped at your local Kinko store. So go ahead and just open it up. Why not? So there it is, people. Whew. Did you hear my phone in my pocket said Local Kinko store. I wrote because I said Kinko store. My phone. You can't look at that. My phone is always listening. Big brother, man. Big brother. That was that was shocking to me just now. Okay, so we looked at that. We looked at that. We looked at that. All right, hold on a second. Let's look MSP sessions. So. Let's see how many tracks they say. Is this where you got it, Peter? Let's take a look real quick. Peter says Bobby only played on three tracks. Let's see. Let's take a look. Let's see here. You know, this looks like a releases. This doesn't look like. Let's go to recording sessions. This is what we want. That's what we want. And we want to go to the master sound productions. Okay, okay, here we go. This is what I wanted to know. This is what I wanted to know. Look at that. Look at that. All right, the engineer's name was Ben. <laughs> now the FBI is going to know what nerds we are. <laughs> um, okay, this is, okay, so look. So, so, all right, this answers, this allows me to formulate. Now I can formulate my thesis better. Ready? Here's my thesis. Going back to what we were talking about before, the mystery. Um, so they recorded on August, they started on August 7th, 1980, and they recorded for a month all the way to September 5th, 1980. Isn't it interesting that they tested, they, they had a, a test pressing of 
of 12 Hits from Hell, uh, 21 years to the day on August, uh, on, on, on uh, the 5th. Remember, we were just saying six days from 9-11. Look at that. Same day. So that means that they were recording for just shy of a month, right? The Misfits began record this recording session with Bobby Steele on guitar and completed the the mix. What? Sorry, and completed and mixed. Sorry, the Misfits began this recording session on August seventh, nineteen eighty, with Bobby Steele on guitar and completed and mixed on September fifth, nineteen eighty, with Doyle. For each song, Bobby laid down. For each song, Peter. So it's not just three songs. For each song, Bobby laid down three guitar tracks. One lead track and two rhythm tracks. Doyle later added guitar tracks to most songs, which were then mixed with his guitar sound in the center. Two songs also included additional guitar by producer Robbie Alter. Excluding overdubs, each song was recorded in one take except London Dungeon, of which the band recorded two takes. Mixing and mastering. Skulls and Astro Zombies were later remixed for Collection 1. The Misfits later recorded a different drum track for Halloween 2 and remixed the song for the Halloween 7-inch. Bill Inglot and Andrew Garver of Rhino Records remastered Halloween for the New Wave Halloween compilation album. All 13 songs were later remixed for the 12 Hits from Hell album. So there you go. So Bobby does play on the majority of the tracks. Not only that, he lays down three guitar tracks, one lead track and two rhythm tracks. And then um, they only did one take excluding overdubs. So they would do overdubs. Now, if Bobby started with them on August 7th, we know that uh, for sure he recorded on August 7th. But at some point between August 7th and September 5th, Bobby starts pulling some sort of rock rock star situation where he's not showing up. He's not showing up to recording sessions or he's not doing, uh, he, he's not cooperating. Maybe he's messing with them. Bobby's that kind of guy too. You know, he can kind of like, you know, be, be provocative. Maybe he's being provocative. Maybe he's playing a little bit of wonky just to mess with those guys in an attempt to do a power move. And also to note, this is 16 track tape. That means that there are 16 tracks uh, for each, you know, song. So, Three, at least three of them are uh, are go to Bobby, and then another one goes to Doyle. Maybe maybe Glenn plays on another one. Who knows? You know, to thicken that to thicken that stuff up. Um, at some point, Jerry decides that to just bring in Doyle and stop having Bobby show up. But I don't think they ever actually told Bobby he's out of the band. And Bobby just, whatever, you know, Bobby is like into the nightlife. He's, he's, you know, getting loaded, blah, blah, blah. But supposedly Bobby shows up. Bobby told me this to my face. Bobby told me that he showed up uh, to the Irving Plaza show, 1980, expecting to play. And he had Frank Zappa with him. And Doyle went out on the stage and they just never told him. And he was out of the band. And that was it. So Bobby found out in 1980. Supposedly, according to him. Um, but this, I'm glad to to look this up. This this does lend credence to my my thought process. Just that I didn't have any confirmation. It was like they had to record, they had to have been recording longer than just one day, 
You know, it just didn't, that didn't make any sense to me. Um, okay, so there's that. So then the, the next thing here, I'm not going to read. Someday we'll go over Tom Begowitz's interview. Maybe we'll do that in part two. I can't, I can't do that now. It's just, God, we really should. Uh, oh, my God. Let's at least just take a look at that one part. Um, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll wait. So this is, look at this. This was done on September 29th, 2001, in anticipation for 12 hits from hell. I wish, I don't think uh, Russell casualties here, but I'd love to ask him uh, what he remembers. What, Russell, what do you remember? If you listen to this, Russell, what do you remember uh, at that time? Did a lot of people know about 12 hits from hell? Was Jerry hyped up about 12 hits from hell, like Bobby is saying? Like, what's the deal there? That I would like to know. Um, well, let's save this. I'm not going to read this now because it's gone two hours. We're winding down here. Here's what I wanted to tell you guys. So here's the last, the last thing. <laughs> I need a documentary on 12. This is the closest thing you're going to get to a documentary about 12 hits from hell. Uh, that I, I mean, well, I mean, I guess, huh. How do I do that? 12, how do I do that? Like a little featurette, Peter? Hmm. Um, so here's the last thing I wanted to say, uh, before we, before we wind down here. Again, if you're just joining us, please like this, like this video, leave a comment, uh, subscribe to my channel, let some ads play, or click on the little ads that are right here in the thing below. I don't know. Anything helps, man. Anything helps. Lots of ways to support the creation of this content. Uh, got a couple of interviews coming up. Here's what I want to say. The, the main thing to take away from 12 Hits from Hell happening is what followed from 12 Hits from Hell. Because of 12 Hits from Hell, suddenly, oh, Russell Casualty is here. That's awesome. Wow. Wow. Russell, dude, way to come in the way, way to be waiting in the wings. Wait, Russell, Russell, come, Russell, here. Russell, I don't, are you available, right? Russell, come, come into the, come into the waiting room for a minute. Click on that link. If you can, if you're available, I don't know if your, your situation allows for it, but if it does, I, I want to, I, I just, I'm just curious about something. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so glad. That's awesome. I'd like to ask you something on the air about this specifically. Will you uh, uh, come, come into the, come into the show if you can, if not, it's okay. I'll just say what I'm going to say and, and, and we'll call it a day. Uh, I'll, I'll wait and see if, if Russell can join us or not. Um, so, so here's the thing. So, 12 Hits from Hell is supposed to come out. It doesn't come out. They shut down the, um, they, they, they shut down the release. Everything gets recalled. But what also ha happens, what also happens as a result of 12 Hits from Hell not happening because Glenn and Jerry together put the kibosh on, they start talking in some way, shape, or form. They start talking. They agree on it. There, there has to be some sort of communication, some sort of, uh, 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 correspondence between the two of them as they both work together to sort of stop Caroline from doing this thing. What happens next in 2002? Uh, Jerry and Doyle go down to LA to meet with Glenn to talk about possibly, we talked about this last week, 
with because that's all that Jerry is uh, is, is talking about um, uh, in in that interview. He talks brings it up like a hundred times, talking about how how Glenn's coming back. Glenn's coming back. Glenn's coming back. Um, they went out there to talk to him about doing the reunion, and Jerry throws a monkey wrench in it. The reunion doesn't happen, but then Glenn and Doyle start doing the Misfits, or what's t- at first known as the Misfits Revenge, right? Up oh, here he is. Russell, Russell, what's up, buddy? How you doing? I'm all right, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy holidays to you, sir. Good to see you. Loving the chops. Here's my question. Hold on. Let me see if I can. I can't really hear you very well. I'm going to put on headphones, actually. Just wait a second. See if you can improve your audio situation here. <clears throat> All right, let's try that. I had a Bluetooth speaker going. Oh, that's better. Perfect, perfect. Okay. So here's my question to you. Um, so so this is you do this interview. First of all, uh, you did this interview with uh, Tom Begowitz in uh, September 29th, 2001. Um, was there? What was the buzz like back then for Twelve Hits from Hell? Um, first of all, your, your volume is really low for some reason. So that's why I'm going to stick my ear up to the, the mic. Hold on. I don't know if what that's about you now? and me. Hello. Hello. Testing, nope. testing one, two, three. Nope. I don't know what's going on with that, but that's okay. I mean, I can hear you. Um, there was, um, there was a, a fair amount of buzz. I mean, um, you know, even back then, uh, you know, things didn't spread that quickly on the internet and, uh, and there was just, I mean, it was nuts. I remember going into, uh, we have a, a large mall called the Galleria here. And oh, um, they too. had a poster in there. What's that? They have a Galleria here too. That's funny. Well, I guess that's kind <clears> of <throat> thing. But uh, they, they had a poster in there. And I was, I was all jazzed about the fact that, you know, it was coming out. And um, Tom, Tom was a producer for a local uh, Birmingham band called Haste. Um, so he was, he was living in Birmingham at the time, oh. working with those guys on, on their album for, uh, Century Media and, oh. <clears throat> you know, and somehow or another, uh, I got hooked up with him and he's like, Hey man, you know, let's, let's go somewhere and talk and, you know, we'll get it done. <laughs> and that, that was really how that happened. Just luck that wow. he was here. Um, so, so did you. Bobby mentioned the thing about how like Jerry had known about the release and was like giving out promos or anything. Do you remember at anything at the time uh, hearing anything about that? Was that like, is that correct? Was is Bobby right about that? As far as you remember? I, I cannot recall any of that. Um, <clears throat> okay. You know, it was, it was a blur. Um, I, I just, I recorded the interview. We, we went to a Mexican restaurant and I was just ecstatic that, you know, I was, I was getting some inside information and, um, you know, I immediately transcribed it and put it on the website. And if it's not in the interview, it's, it, it wasn't discussed. I mean, we, we didn't have any, any secret, you know, uh, you know, off the record discussions or anything. So whatever's there is there. And aside from that, I, I can't really remember anything else. Um, no, but what I, what I mean is I'm talking about Bobby Steele. Did Bobby Steele, mentions in the thing I was just reading, he was talking yeah. about how um, 
how Jerry was fully aware that 12 hits from hell was going to be coming out and was like, you know, uh, uh, putting stuff up on misfitscentral.com about, about it. Like, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, now I do remember those things, but um, <clears throat> you know, again, that was misfit central was, was the place to get information at the time. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't remember reading it specifically, you know, in any one place, but I do remember that that's, that's where I got all my info. And I do remember uh, there was some chat about, about it on the Misfits Bible, I believe. And I think, I want to say Paul Meslin. Um, he's, he's, if I'm saying that right, sorry. Um, he's credited. He, he's got a piece on there where he sent something to Ashley at Astral Works and got some info. So oh. Um, and I, I can find that link, but I'm pretty sure um, I'm pretty sure there, there's some record of that. But, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I don't remember specifically what Jerry might have said, but I do remember, you know, that, you know, it wasn't some big mystery like he was getting, you know, blindsided by it. Right, 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 right. Um, I just want to highlight here, Tanner actually, uh, this was not mentioned before, but Tanner is right. At, at one point, uh, Gorgeous George, who was married to Doyle at the time, is urging Doyle to uh, go to, I, I guess, go to Glenn's father's funeral. Um, and that's where Glenn and Doyle had spoke, had really reconnected for the first time, which, because I was talking about before, how, how 12 hits kind of, you know, leads, in fact, to the miss to, to Glenn and Jerry talking about doing a proper reunion um, because they kind of come together to put the kibosh on, on 12 hits from hell. And uh, yes, it is worth mentioning that. Yeah. That G gorgeous George is going Doyle, Doyle, go to, go to the, um, you know, go to the, go to the funeral or whatever, pushing him to go to the, the funeral. And, and that, that led to that. I didn't know that Jerry was at the funeral, but I guess Jerry was at the funeral too, at least according to what Tanner's saying. So I don't know. Um, the other thing too, uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, okay, that's how you got that, Tom Bedouts, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I guess that sort of like, that sort of like paints a picture of, of everything that happens. I mean, without 12 Hits from Hell, we might not have gotten the reunion that we now have, you know, because those guys started talking again in 2002 as a result of, you know, maybe like what had started with 12 hits from hell, who knows? So, yeah. So what else is going on with you, Russell? How you doing? What's that? Oh, I see the picture. Hey, go, uh, go to, go to the picture behind you, the framed photo that uh dude painted. Look at that baby. It's gorgeous, man. Look at all the details. Wow. That is pretty. Can you hear me, Russell? You hear anything I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that is uh, that is gorgeous right there. It was good that you got it uh, framed. Where, where did you get it pr uh, printed up? So I, <clears throat> I actually have a, a, a guy that I went to high school with. His younger brother um, does it as a side business. And... Um, 
he's got, you know, he can do canvas, he can do all that stuff. So, you know, 10 minutes down the road, um, you know, I got it printed out. Um, that is actually on like semi-gloss photo paper. So, it, you know, it's fairly heavy. Ooh. And yeah, that was uh, like 20 bucks. Wow. That, yeah. is, that is awesome. Let me ask you this, yep. Russell. So what are your, yeah. what is your opinion? What is your opinion on the 12 Hits from Hell mixes? Um, man, I love them. Um, you know, I, 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 obviously, you know, the guys who played on it, uh, can have their opinion, but I mean, I, it doesn't not sound like a Misfits record to me. It, you know, it, it sounds like, I mean, if you really think about it, is there any real consistency from record to record? You know, I mean, you got different drummers, you got different guitar players, you got Glenn adding, you know, things. So, you know, it's, it's Glenn's voice. It's the the explosion of sound and you know and the machine gun drums you know sometimes so you know that that's a misfits record to me. Um, I think it sounds great. I'm a I'm a big fan, dude. I'm a big fan. I, I was saying yeah. I'm a big fan. I I love it. I really really love it. Um, Jody, uh, you the man. Thank you for listening. I appreciate the com- I appreciate the comment. Uh, Oni says. Didn't Doyle mention there was talk about having a Misfits reunion in 2002, that Jerry was the cause of it not happening? Yes, that's what we're referring to. That is, uh, that's what happened. The, those dudes were in some kind of communicate, had to have been in some kind of communication in, in 2001 over 12 hits from hell. And then as Tanner is saying, you know, they did, he did go to his funeral, did go to his dad's funeral the next thing you know, those guys are, are are talking about doing a reunion, and it didn't go down. Tanner says, did anyone notice the different lyrics used on 12 Hits from Hell? Tanner, are you referring to London Dungeon or something else specifically? Because the only thing I'm aware of is London Dungeon. I do not know what else there is. By the way, I'm going to find, I have on my other computer, I have... On my other computer, I have this Henry Rollins uh, thing. I'm almost positive it's there. The fanatic, um, the fanatic uh, uh, radio show. I think it's on that computer. I'm going to see if I can find it. Otherwise, it's lost to time, and I don't have it, which would be a real shame. So I don't know if you ever listened to it. He's literally comparing the old and new versions. It's pretty sweet. I really like it a lot. So. Ghoul's Night Out. That's my favorite fun fact of 12 hits. Um, I remember if I feel like I heard that or not. I don't know. I don't, Tanner, what, enlighten us, please. What is the, What are the alternate lyrics of Ghoul's Night Out? Let me turn the sucker on. You got me. I don't know. I don't know. I just fired up my old iMac ancient iMac from 2007 <laughs> still runs still runs um what else is going on with you russell anything else nothing really you know prepping for christmas you know kids nice. craziness school letting out half the time for corona you know it's, it's nuts but um that's nuts nope nuts. Aside from that, um, I don't know if you saw the other day. I, I put something in the uh, in the uh, they came from Lodi, where uh, 
I was just looking through my Walk Among Us and found out that I had a Fiend Club insert. <clears throat> Didn't even know I had oh, it. Oh, yeah. That's so yeah. cool. So that, that was a cool surprise. That's yeah. a nice little bonus. And it's original, right? What's that? It's original, right? It was an original uh, insert? Yeah. Um, pretty much everything that I that I had previous to, I don't know, probably 2000, maybe 2000. Yeah, previous to 2000, I got, you know, directly from uh, established collectors or from, you know, people like Steve Zing or, you know, whoever, you know, people who were uh, big into the scene. And um, Glenn has signed everything and, you know, looked over pretty much everything at that point. And, uh, you know, he almost broke my 12-inch purple mother. Um, <laughs> he said he, uh, I was getting all my stuff signed at one of the Sam Hain reunions. Yeah. And he pulls that thing out and he goes and he's and he, uh, like, I wouldn't say that he flexed it, but, you know, he had it with both hands and he's like, I don't sign no boots, you know, and, and Steve is like, you know, patting him on the line. It's like, hey, man, it's legit. It's good. You know, he's like, all right, well, I don't sign no boots. And then he signed it, you know, and, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, so just had I feel to... pretty good that that, you know, all my stuff is legit. Um, but he had, uh, to, he had to puff his chest out. That's why he just had to puff <laughs> his chest out and be like, I don't sign any boots. So, you know, like, even though he's still going to sign it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, uh, apparently, <clears throat> apparently there's some nothing new, else really uh, going on here. So um, I don't want to tie you up. I'd, I'd love to listen. So if, we're, if you know, yeah, yeah, go you ahead. Have something for me, I'm no. Yeah. I said, that's yeah. good, man. Oh, totally. Totally. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and, and filling us in. Hey, no problem. I'm going to leave the link open guys. I'll leave the link open for a little bit while I, I I'm going to confirm. I'm going to confirm what it is. I'm going to leave the link open. So if anybody else, wants to join us. I'm going to kick you now, Russ. And if anybody else wants to, wants to come on and join us, feel free. Okay. Look at that. Look at that beautiful thing. Bye. Kicking him out. All right, guys. Link is saying, Oh wait, what did Tanner say? What was up? It's up to me when it comes down to necking with girls at the one Oh five mark, because it's became, it's up to me when it comes down to burying the ghouls. Ooh, interesting. Very, very interesting. All right, guys, listen, I'm checking right now to see if I have this Henry Rollins thing, which I, it's amazing how, why, this is why you have to hold on to stuff because you never know when it's going to become rare or not rare. I'm pretty sure it's rare. Look, link is up in the thing. If anybody else wants to come on and say a few words before we end the show, um, if you're joining us or please, if you like this content, please like this video, leave a comment, subscribe. I know I say that over and over again. Let the ads play out. All these things uh, really help support the creation of this content. I'm going to leave the link up as I'm checking. This thing takes forever to fire up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We'll read um, Russ's uh, Tom Begowitz interview. We'll save it. Okay. I was going to do some more Jerry-only content, and I decided not to. Cause I was just like, man, we done two Jerry only shows. I gotta, I gotta space out that Jerry stuff. It's, uh, it, it, you can't, you can't do too many Jerry only shows all at once. Um, I'm trying to find my mouse because I can't control this desktop. But hey, the link is up. Anybody wants to join, feel free. The invitation is open, people. Open air. I'm just gonna look for my mouse here. And if anybody wants to join us in the room, chat for a little bit. I got a couple more minutes. I like doing the chat at the end of the show. It's a lot of fun. But I just got to find it. 
Oh, you know what else? You want to see my, this is my devil lock. Look. Oh, baby. Look at that thing. I've been kind of cultivating this. I don't, it just sort of happened. I did not intend for it. You know, I started shaving the sides of my head. I had, my neighbor was cutting my hair. And then I just had my wife. We bought an electric razor on Cyber Monday. <laughs> I'm going crazy. Going crazy in Corona. Coronaville. I've never had one, man. I never had one. I was like, you know what? I can slick it back during the day. And then every once in a while, if I want to, if I'm feeling a little evil, I put it into a put into a pin. Uh, I don't know if Peter's still there. Peter, I I'm curious to know where you thought that Bobby had only played three tracks. Because as far as I understand it, he played way more than three tracks. Um, where is the mouse, man? I literally have a, I have a computer running, but I have no mouse to connect to the computer. And therefore, I can't look around on my computer to see if I have these files or not. You know what's funny? You would think at the age of 15, one would have a devil lock, right? But I just turned 35, and I'm getting a devil lock for the first time in my life. I mean, what's wrong with me? Oh, we got Pete. Pete's here. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Oh, Good. snap. Look at that. Look at that. Dug it out. Oh, it's gorgeous, man. It's gorgeous. Nice boot I got. You know what, Peter? Bootleg or not, I think that it is well worth it to have that on vinyl i think it it in a way it almost even though it's not an official release it almost becomes an official release because it's like you know i don't know it's so rare yeah i wish i had the red vinyl yeah right. the original boot this is like a copy or a copy of the boot you know so it has the forward from your yvonne though uh yes yeah, that's on the um here we go on this sheet here. Wow. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually, I'm trying to think if I've ever read that, read that, uh, that thing. It's pretty long. What's he talk about in it? Uh, there's a, a Ford from Tom. The, uh, Oh yeah. From someone, yeah. From someone else too. Uh, it's pretty long. It's like a, maybe like a page long. So yeah, <laughs> it goes on forever. Um, Tanner says Tanner says the bootleg is so close to the original without anyone ever seeing the real deal. One of the only boots that I think is cool. Yeah, I think like if it's a lost album, if it's never been properly released, why wouldn't you? I mean, that that's that's the only way you're going to complete your collection with something like that. And again, there's not a lot of them. Even as a bootleg, there's not a lot of them, right? Yeah, I know the color's really off though. It's it's almost like a. I know the yeah. CD's like yellow, so right. uh, the color right. the color's way off with the boot, but you know, it's just a novelty. <laughs> it is uh, a novelty, but it's a fun novelty. Tell me, did you ever listen to the? Did you ever listen to the Henry Rollins uh, radio show that I'm referring to? Yes, I I remember 
him comparing uh, each version of the song. It was it was probably like a three hour episode. It was really yeah, long. Yeah, it was super long, but it was so great because they literally played both versions of each song back to back, so you can hear the differences. And Henry Rollins was just praising the twelve hits version. So I'm sure he has yeah. an original CD. I remember uh, the promo copies of the CD being released to record stores. Right. And uh, when they had that promo copy, me and my friends tried buying it off the record store guy. Yeah. And he looked at it and he was like, nah. Like, I, I think we all could tell that something was going to go wrong with it. it. It was too great to last, you know? So. But. That was the last thing. I mean, has there been anything else like original Misfits? Oh, no. There was the Record Store Day Lemonheads release, right? Yeah, but that, that doesn't really count. You know? No, that doesn't count because <laughs> it's not new. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the last time that something almost came out that's, you know, original. Who knows? That's so crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, we really need to hear those uh, the Static Age outtakes that you were talking about that's on the iPod. Oh, you can. <laughs> oh, oh, those. Yeah, Tom, man. You know, I don't know what what uh, I don't know what beheld him uh, to or what what you know motivated him. Maybe it was just because I had driven so far to be at be at his house, and because he had um, because you know I I chat I literally hung out with him for three hours. I I I, I interviewed him for two hours on tape, and then uh, he was just like we were just chilling in his in his place. He lived in this beautiful place. I won't say where it was. I don't know if he still lives there, but I won't say where it was. And um, and he's just like, hey, you want to hear something really cool? It was like, yeah, <laughs> man. He's playing this static of the some kind of hate was really interesting because, uh, you know, Glenn is really like leaning in. When I said Elvis, it, and this is what Tom's observation was to me, he's really leaning into Elvis when he's singing. You know, you can almost you you could almost imagine that there's a lip curl on Glenn as he's singing this this version like there's some kind of love like just super Elvisy. Uh and then uh-huh. the children heat was a, I think there was a botched one and then there was another there were like a bunch of takes of children in heat. Yeah, they, they gotta release that stuff before the nukes start flying, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Robbie, I agree, man. I wish there was a static. You think that they would have in an era where you can have a funhouse box set with Iggy and the Stooges? Why wouldn't they do a static age box set with alternate uh, alternate takes and everything? We know that they've they flirted with that because, or you know that these outtakes exist because Tom created the static uh, that the the outtakes um, track on on some of the static age CDs. You can find it on YouTube. YouTube. It's uh, you can hear Bob Aleka. You can just hear various outtakes and like they do the uh, the static thing in between, you know. So we know that stuff exists. It's all out. Th- it's it's there. Um, they just you know they just they sit on it, man. Yeah, and that was the funnest funnest part of the CD. Hearing a five dollar yes. fine and all the cool little commentary and the uh, outtakes, you know. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's a five dollar fine, Jerry. It's just so <laughs> crazy, man. Uh, Alex says, how else do you sing some kind of hate? I did interview Don who ran, um, oh my God, Real Platinum? No, it wasn't Real Platinum. Wherever they recorded Walk Among Us, I interviewed the guy who owned the studio. And his name's Don. And uh, he had some interesting, 
he didn't have much to say, but he had a couple of interesting insights about when they were recording Walk Among Us. This was after the the master, the MSP session. So it would have been it would have been different. Let me ask you this, Pete. In your opinion, because I you you heard me as I was trying to formulate, I was trying to figure this out. In your opinion, uh what why um what do you think happened? Do you think that Bobby was pulling some prima donna stuff and that led to Jerry just sort of like, or that led to them like, you know, uh, uh, not calling Bobby up anymore, like that sort of thing? Or do you think that Bobby, do you think that it was always just about getting Doyle in the band and that uh, uh, they were just always plotting that against Bobby or something? Like, what do you think happened? Uh, I think it was just a convenience thing. It was just more convenient to have Doyle because he was there. You know, they just didn't feel like running around picking Bobby up or whatever. Mm -hmm. So. It's just out of convenience. That's what I think. Because mm. it, it, like having a band, it's it, it's so hard. You got to pick people up, and you got to find people. You know, no one's got time for that. You know, so it was just out yeah. of convenience. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because because uh, uh, you know, I believe Glenn was friends with Bobby even after he left the band. He was going to help him with that seven inch, right? Yeah, he was yeah, going to come up from Plan Nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I think the bad blood happened at one of the shows or something. So, I think the the bad blood with Jerry was instantaneous, but the bad blood with with Glenn didn't. Yeah, didn't happen until the undead, until that that whole thing about uh, uh, the label or about what was what Tim Somer. Tim Somer had written an article uh, with uh, interviewing Bobby, and Bobby had made some comments that were or or Tim had written some some things based on stuff that Bobby was saying and Glenn had read it and then all of a sudden that's when Glenn and Bobby had a falling out which really has lasted till this day you know I, I remember hearing a Misfit interview on a radio where uh, they sounded kind of excited that they were going to release an Undead 7 inch on their label hmm. uh, I, yeah I know that interview exists I, I think it's on maybe a that's like, noise the show that's Tim Somer's noise, the show. I don't know. I'd be kind of curious to hear that now. Yeah, but I mean, it'd be great if they could just squash all that and release yeah. some of those rec recordings. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. I just like, honestly, too, I, I really wish that. I mean, I know it's like so it would so would never happen, but it would be so cool to have Bobby on second guitar for some of those reunion shows, man. It just would add. It would just add such another dimension. I mean, again, I don't know if Bobby could, I don't think Bobby would play the Earth AD stuff, but man, if you brought him out for just like a couple of horror business tracks, you know, that'd be so yeah, cool. They could sell the 12 hits album at reunion shows, right? Yeah. Think of, right? Think how, think how cool that would be. I mean, but what's so crazy is that it's like, it's like, um, it's just like, think about how much more money they would like make if they just like you know or or how much more they could command you know if if they if they did it if they had bobby you know come in and come on tanner says that bobby can play the uh AD, the earth ad stuff <laughs> yeah yes. i think I, I think so even even if it was a little bit of feedback or stuff in a different key uh, it would definitely add an element to it you know well I mean, maybe if you had Doyle 
Doyle doing the rhythm and Bobby doing some cool lead stuff. I don't know. That would sound, I mean, it would sound, it would definitely melt. Either way, it would melt my face. Either way, my face would be melted and it would be great. So I don't know. But uh, listen, I think I'm going to, uh, I'm going to wrap this up because I got to be up in the morning, but uh, Pete, thank you so much as always, sir. Very good to see you. You're one of my most You're- frequent guests now, I think. Yeah. It's your third time. It's awesome. Yep. I, you know, people, when I put the link out, just do what Pete, Pete does. Just click the link. You can come on. Come on and chat. Yeah. Come on and say yeah, a couple share, words. It's nice. Share records. Share your record share watching. records. Yeah, we can talk about anything. I'm a, I don't bite. I'm a friendly guy. Show and tell. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Pete, until next time, friend. Good to see you. Peace and hair grease. Have a great I'm night. Gonna, uh, you too, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boot you out of here. Pete was kicked out we kicked him out okay people listen this was a wonderful episode thank you so much for come for for staying for so long this was an extra long episode i really enjoyed myself uh we'll do it again next week um please 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 once again like this video leave a comment um subscribe if you haven't um yeah alec please you're more than welcome to join us for a few minutes you know that's true you come on you hang out for a little bit and then you go off and we have another person or we can get three people in at the same time and all have like a little symposium, have a little chat. Um, glad you liked the show. Thank you so much. Um, uh, last thing again, ads, let the ads play out. It's really, really, really good when you let the ads play out. Hey pod. Thank you so much, Russell. It's really nice to see a pal and your poster looks great. Thank you. Okay guys, for real, this is, me signing out. I'm going to look, guys, I'm going to look for that Henry Rollins show and we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to listen to it. I think we can get away with listening to it or maybe I can edit it in a way where we can just listen to the Henry Rollins parts because we'll get in trouble if we listen to the music parts too. Um, And it will be a lot of fun. Okay. So this is Jeff signing off. Peace and hair grease. And I'll see you next time.